episode 17 of the Metro Fan TV Weekly Rundown. Lens and Fernando coming to you live after what has been an incredible season in New Jersey soccer. Uh, I'm going to begin the top of the episode by saying that if you are upset enough to be upset about people being optimistic about this team, even after everything that we've been through, turn the episode off right now. It's not sad sack hours, ladies and gentlemen. This is Metro Fan TV. How are you doing today, Fernando? Eh, <laughs> all right, I guess. I, I was actually doing a lot better um, this morning, and then I had to go into the city for work, and I passed by Rebel Arena, and then I worked, and then I came back from New York City and passed by Rebel Arena again. So I kind of got double dose of sadness today, but um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Dude, I, said, I literally just said that it isn't sad sack hours on this podcast, man. Come on, please. <laughs> Don't blow up the spot like this. <laughs> but uh, joining us today in the podcast, today's fan of the week is none other than a mysterious man. It goes by the nom de guerre, Cork. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, man. That's uh, that's a double whammy that I get to be fan of the week, too. I get to be on your show and <laughs> walk around like fucking boss. Yeah, cool. Hell yeah, dude. It's, it's the spotlight. Thank um, you. Thank you for having me on. Good to, good to talk to you guys. <laughs> yeah. um, so obviously we come at a time where we would rather be talking about having one more game to play. But unfortunately, as we learned last weekend, it just really wasn't meant to be. Because once again, it really did seem that fate kind of transpired. Fate kind of conspired against us, didn't they? By that, I mean... Say what you want about that Atlanta game. Um, we kind of know everything there is to know about it at this point. Um, significant injury to probably the most one of the most important players on the team just kind of de- ended up derailing our season at an opportune time. And, you know, I think really if you look at it, 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 it really was just such an unfortunate ending to the season, I think. You know, I think there's been a lot of talk about um, the various polit- uh, like tactical wrinkles and the various um, issues with Chris Armis's man management. But ultimately, like I think what it really boils down to in its essence is the fact that we didn't have anyone ca- on the roster that was capable of really making up for the significant drop in quality that follows Kamar Lawrence on the fullback, on the left-back depth chart. And those were just, just ended up kind of being insurmountable. And that whole series was a advertisement, I'd say, to just kind of highlight how important he is to this team. Um, on top of that, I think, you know, you do have to credit Atlanta to a degree for two very well-managed legs. I think if there's one... I think on the topic of man management that I touched upon earlier, you do kind of have to, I, I, I don't necessarily think that playing Connor Laid was a bad idea, but, you know, I think there's one part of the uh, tactical man management, game management on the day that you could kind of pinpoint to. Like, I think one thing that people haven't really been discussing, and I guess I'll start conversation about the um, game on this is that it seemed a bit of a huge risk what Chris Armis did in the last 15 minutes of the game by throwing on two very aggressive 
offensive substitutions and an attempt to go for an away goal, despite the fact that, you know, a 1-0 result coming back to Red Bull Arena on Thursday wouldn't have necessarily been the worst result, you know, and I'll begin, I guess, our discussion of the game on this particular facet. Going for it as aggressively he did at the end of leg one was a move that I think was kind of understated in ultimately sinking our chances a little bit. Because when you saw how disorganized the team became because of how hard they were going for it, left this porous in the back for counterattacks. And that's what it ultimately ended up um, kind of just striking us in the back. You know, I mean, you can talk about the VAR goal before then, and I will probably be touching on that later. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that if there's one thing that you can criticize Chris Armas for, I don't think it's playing Connor Lade. I think it's aggressively going for that away goal in the fashion that he did it. You know, I think he kind of over, it was a bit too over aggressive in doing that. And it ultimately sank us. But I don't know. I'm going to throw it up to you guys to talk about this particular facet. Like, where do you guys feel? So, I, I mean, I, I was kind of leaning towards that. Um, but having seen the two, the, the last two goals, I, I don't think I can – I don't think it came down to them being overly aggressive. I, it probably paid, played a part in it. Um, I'm just I'm, – it's not like we got countered on that third goal. It's not like, you know, we were pushing too far up and then, you know, we were kind of just, just caught and they kind of just went off for a break. If you look at that third goal, I mean, they were just kind of casually playing. There was nothing. There was no pressure. Uh, Parker is caught way too high up. Um, Adams is kind of just like trotting around, not really pushing, you know, not really aggressively tracking back. Um, I'm actually looking to, I'm actually looking at it right now. Um, they kind of just, the, the back line kind of just got picked apart. It wasn't really from them playing too aggressive. And then, I mean, uh, Luis maybe could do better on that. Um, he kind of like lunged, but didn't commit and didn't really even try to kind of go at it. I mean, even if, even if he was beat, at least just kind of just go for it and maybe get your hand on it and it deflects off the post. Cause I mean, that ball couldn't have been more than, you know, a, a foot away from the bar. I mean, if he commits and he dives and he get his fingertips on it, like we've seen him do a million times, maybe that ball kind of just, you know, squeaks out to the outside. But looking at that whole buildup, that wasn't us getting countered. That was just that was kind of just an encapsulation of the whole game of of the back line just not playing well, not being the best defensive back line probably in, in, in MLS history, like they've been this whole year. The second goal, I mean, that's an, that's another one. Um, I'm lo- I'm looking at it right now, and and Amir kind of just falls asleep, um, and then laid on the opposite side for God knows what reason is like sprinting full on into the box. He ends up, I don't know, maybe actually he ends up inside a box right next to, uh, right next to Luis as a guy he's supposed to mark is wide open and just charges in a box. Like it, that, that to me, that second goal was 100% on Amir and laid. I, I don't see Kamar making a stupid decision like that, where he just basically ignores the guy that he's supposed to cover behind him you know, ends up basically being two feet away from, 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 from Luis and gives up a goal. So I, I don't know. I, I, 
I feel like this game is going to be dissected in a million different ways for for the next couple of weeks, at least until um, you know the, the the cup goes and and we have something tangible with you know to keep us more busy, I guess. But the, for me, what the game comes down to, it wasn't even tactics. For me, it came down to we lost probably the best left back in MLS at the worst possible time. A lot of us have talked about the lack of depth in that position pretty much for the entire second half of the season. We got away with it, but if there was a team that we weren't going to get away with, mm-hmm. it was going to be Atlanta. And unfortunately, it bit us in the ass. The, the reality is we didn't have, like you said, someone good enough, no disrespect laid, but for how this team plays, the drop-off in what we, in what was available for that position and what we need was substantial. And we could talk about the change in tactics all we want. That there was a clear difference on that. No, side. I mean you almost want to put a, an asterisk on this game, like you know, not you know that sounds kind of rich coming from from Red Bulls fans, but uh, you know when you lose, if you've watched this team all year, you know that if you lose with any team, if you lose one part of a of a four man back line that's played all year together and done as well as we have, you're going to have a huge drop off. I mean, it has to be a unit. Guys play tentatively. Guys get confused when when the personnel changes, especially in a big game like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's not really any choice besides Laid. I could really, you know, putting Laid there that I could see Armas going with in a situation like that. And it just was what it was. I mean, you could see not only did it change the way we played and affected how our defense played, but it affected how Atlanta came out and played. I mean, I can't imagine uh, if Kamar's out there, their plan is to, you know, hoof it to Escobar the, the, whole, the whole game. So, uh, you know, I can't really fault... Like I said, you, you you want to put an asterisk on a game like this almost when you lose a piece like that, and it makes it hard for me to really judge anything Armas did too hard. I mean, uh, on the other hand, going whatever you could argue going for it late in the game, whether, whether there were any concrete moves toward that or not, um, we nonetheless, you know, gave up three goals you can't you can't do that in a series like that especially when you should be confident that our team can score at least two um on the home leg so yeah i mean not you know it's it's like i said hard for me to make any sweeping judgments on anything that happened in the first leg or or, you know either of the legs um when we're missing somebody like kamar who just not only is you know a huge offensive threat compared to Lade um, as far as penetrating down the down the wing and you know putting more crosses in things like that um, the way we create a lot of our chances um, you know he is the last ditch you know our last line of defense most of the time before Luis so many games where we've um, had you know pressure going on the other end and then you know ball breaks through which will happen when we play that way and Kamar is the guy to sweep it up so just so many things change about the way we play and the way the way other teams play us when Kamar isn't a factor out there and it just makes it hard to really look at this in any sort of you know broader context than just you know it sucks and we lost you know yeah you know I think uh uh, you're going to touch upon that latter part, particularly, I think, when you talk about, like, uh, Kamar's absence is fundamentally changing the way that we not just, you know, attack, but also in the way that we defend. And I think the most telling thing 
from Kamar's like absence was the average positional map that was released after the first leg. And you could see like just how much a Lade was in a withdrawn position compared to what we've uh, been used to seeing Kamar do on the offense, where like uh, instead of being like uh, virtually in the attacking third after over the halfway line, like he's kind of withdrawn. And as a result of that, like you kind of saw the team left hand side being a bit more withdrawn and particularly flushed out to the left hand side to trying to compensate for that. You know, I think the lack of an outlet on that left hand channel resulted in Royer dropping deep to cut to China to compensate for a late, not really offering as much enterprise to try and get on the ball yeah. a bit more. It resulted in, you know, Sean Davis and Tyler Adams and even Kaku at one point, like shifting over to the left to try and, uh, you know, make up for the fact that Connor wasn't really pushing up that high, you know? And as a result of that, if you looked at the uh, map and the, corresponding other side of the field. I mean, Amir was on an island all by himself. Mwil was the only one. Mwil and Bradley were the only ones that were really kind of roaming in the center and the right hand and on the right hand side. And there's a result of that. I mean, like you can point to that and say that this was basically the reason why they didn't really met. They couldn't really get anything going in the attacking third. It's because, you know, like uh, all the guys on the team on the offense weren't really playing in the offensive areas that, one would expect them to be it when they start the year. You know, like, for example, like you wouldn't be finding Kaku roaming on the edge of the 18 in the center, for example. Mm -hmm. You'd find him flushing out a bit more to the left, trying to search for additional space, you know, to to kind of, uh, you know, to correspond to Royer's move further deep to help try and get on the ball on the left-hand side. You know, I think it just threw so many, um, so much of our usual chemistry off you know that was really hard to just kind of get something going in the attacking third and on the defensive side i think like fernando brings up another good point you know like uh, talking about connor late just kind of making a bit, like a bit of a poor decision i think to not stay with his man out there and aa with his man out there on the opposite flank um i think this kind of highlights a uh, part of kamar's game that kind of gets understated as well you know i mean we talk about how much he's an athlete and how good his recovery defense is but what really helps him make those recovery runs is the fact that he's just such a positionally intelligent player when it comes to knowing when to commit to the ball and when to stay off. There's the a reason you, you know, play like some we, center back sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree. You know, like his positional sense, especially as a fullback on perhaps the far side of the field, you know? Like his ability to kind of almost operate as a third sweeper sometimes, you know? Like, we talk about Parker and Long kind of having this capability of uh, covering a ton of ground in the center of the park. I think the reason why they're able to harass so high up the field is because it's becoming increasingly apparent that Kamar can basically cover the entire far side of the field by himself, acting as this mm-hmm. really yep. strange hybrid between a fullback and a third mm-hmm. center back. You know, I think that highlighted that game highlighted just how important and how understated those qualities of his game are. And quite frankly, like there's going to be no one else in the roster who can do that. Go ahead, Fernando. No, and, and, and we had someone, you know, the, the few games we saw Duncan out there, I think, I mean, I, Duncan, I'm not saying he would have, he, he had a chance obviously to, to take Kamar's spot. I think Kamar's spot's locked for, for a while now. But there, Duncan was, in my opinion, kind of, 
lining up to be like the best case scenario for uh, for rotation and for a backup and for the occasional uh, for the occasional starts. So losing him was absolutely massive, and we got away with it a lot this year. And we got away with four different reasons. You know, look, not you. You can cheat a little bit with Lade against most teams because most teams don't have the 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 quality of attackers that Atlanta has, and they definitely don't have the speed. This might be the fastest attacking four I think I've ever seen in MLS. It is like brutally fast. So you, but every other team doesn't have that. So when you when 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 you are forced to play Lade because Kamara's out or Amir's out. You again, you can cheat a little bit. You can play lead maybe a little, little further up than you normally would because it's okay. You know, as long as you're not dealing with the fastest attacking four, then you don't have to worry so much about tracking back. Or you could just rely on 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 uh, either Park or Long to kind of you know maybe uh, make up for that. Yeah, I think but back when, to the I was going to say the Houston game earlier this year where he where Lade was matched up with uh, Albert Ellis, where that was just one guy. There wasn't an entire team coming exactly. after him on the other end. Lade could shut him down, but. Yeah, everybody yep. else, and and, and and that and that's an important point because, like I was saying, it's it's not just about one guy or two guys. It's the entire attacking four of Atlanta are just ridiculously fast. So if Lee does get beat, that's fine because you know Long and Parker are all, are very 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 fast center backs, so they can kind of cheat a little bit themselves and kind of you know maybe stray away a little bit from who they're supposed to mark and kind of cover for emergency defending, and we're fine. You can't do that against Atlanta. You can't because if, if you're pulling one of those center backs away to basically help with some kind of emergency run, you've just left another super fast, really good attacking guy open and you can't do that. So if you and, and part of this problem now, too, becomes Royer. A lot of people are wondering, where was our attacking bite the whole game? Well, easy. I We've we've said it a lot on, on, on this podcast that. I like Royer. Royer, I mean, he had 16 goals across all competitions this year, I believe. That's that's not a little bit. That's a lot of goals. The problem is, outside the actual act of scoring a goal, Royer does not do much. No, no. He he cannot create plays the way Velo was able to make, for example. He's not able to create plays, obviously, the way Gaku can. We really don't have any other playmaker. We, we don't have a playmaker on that left side. Kamar is probably a better playmaker Absolutely. Than, than Royer is, if we're being honest here. So now, not only did you just lose your 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 incredibly important fullback, who's so crucial to the entire balance of the press, but you've also lost lost the defensive abilities on that. Well. Now, because of that, the guy you're replacing does not have the attacking flair, does not have the f- defensive flair. So you basically have to pull Royer all the way back. If you look at the positional, um, 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 the the player average positions, Royer was on top of late. Mm-hmm. There were almost, he was actually behind the halfway line. His average position was not even on the uh, was not even on on the the attacking half of of the field. So you just took the only other possible goal scoring, real goal scoring threat, and basically pulled him all the way back as I don't know, a left wing back, I guess. I mean, I don't even know what position he was really playing because he was playing yeah. so far back. 
And Royer so provides I, I don't, usually so much more in the attack too. Like you said, well, well, I mean, not that much to to since I concurred with what you said about him not contributing much outside of goals. But one thing that he does do and has been doing more of this year and would have been an asset in Atlanta and back in Harrison for sure would be he's been almost like a target forward. He's kind of yep. the, the the guy who the ball enters into and that he can kind of has the strength and sometimes the touch to hold it up and wait for other guys to come back up. Uh, when he's that far back, he doesn't even offer that facet to the game. So if you if you look at that first goal, he is part of a five man back line. Mm-hmm. He is literally part of a five man back line on that first goal. To me, that 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 screenshot of of him basically kind of like shrug, putting his arms up in the air, like almost like what what the hell am I doing here? As he's basically next to Laid, and then seconds later. We give the first goal. I see that now, and I'm like, okay, that that to me, that's the entire playoff run yeah. against Lana. That one, that one snippet of where where our tactics had to fundamentally change so much without having Kamar there that we were reduced to basically having a confused Royer being part of a five man back line. And I, I I can't stress it enough that does not happen if Kamar's in there now. Do they still play conservative? Probably. Do they still play a little further back? Absolutely. There, there's no question that they would still play that deeper block because Atlanta made it very clear from the beginning that they were they were very purposeful in their long in, in their long balls. I mean, even if even if they weren't going on on uh they weren't hitting long balls to 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 laid, they still would have put it somewhere else on the field. So it was important for them to play a little bit deeper. Otherwise, basically the entire, you know, the, the, the entire midfield will get bypassed. And now you have these four super, you know, uh, four super fast guys who are great with the ball, who are just quality attackers, basically going against, you know, two or three, uh, two or three defenders. So uh, I don't think the issue is that we weren't high pressing. If we high press, in my opinion, it would have been a blowout. The issue was maybe we weren't playing aggressive enough when we did get the ball, but there's just so many other small pieces that went wrong from from roster to 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 just a lot. I mean, it, it, it kind of is what it is. We we got picked yeah. apart. Yeah, I mean, I think when you talk about other things uh, that haven't really been touched upon, I think uh, one of the bigger understated things that we kind of miss out on, we talk about um, this playoff run coming off the rails a little bit, and is the fact that our other fullback, you know, Amir Murillo, I mean, I love the guy. He's had a great season, but I mean, it just kind of, kind of all fell apart as soon as the playoffs started, didn't it? I mean, uh, yeah. um, it wasn't just the uh, Columbus away game. I think um, Amir was uncharacteristically bad. I think, you know, it was kind of nowhere near the, uh, sustained amount of excellence that we had been used to seeing from him this season. But we have always kind of known that Amir can be a bit of a boomer bust player, you know, like when he's on and he's gliding past dudes, no problem on the offensive end. You know, he plays defense by effectively pinning the entire team's like right flank back, you know, preventing them from really breaking out because they have to respect his uh, threat out there on the right hand side. But this playoffs and the last, you know, you, you, you didn't really see a lot of that same 
confidence, you know, that he used to have in taking on defenders or trying to pull people out wide with his, you know, his skill and his finesse. It allow Alex Mule to cut inside and offer a threat in the inner right, in the inner right center right channel. You know, I think when we talk about how flaccid we looked in offense, you know, I think we do have to give some of we do have to offer some criticism to Amir. And the reason why I'm gonna I and the reason why is, you know, I think you can lay you can single out Bradley for not having a shot on goal in either leg against Atlanta. You can single out Kaku maybe for not quite having as profound an effect in the game as some people might want. But the simple fact that the nature is, is that in the playoffs, you're going to have teams who understand the threat that your most key players um, offer. They're going to be devising strategies to shut down your most important players. And it's kind of up to your supporting cast to kind of step up and they're awake, you know, because like if the supporting cast kind of comes through and plays well enough that they offer threats in their own and causes the opposition to kind of panic and abandon their main marks, you know, like that's what frees up the space for those two players to do their things. And that didn't really happen because a, like you guys mentioned, Royer was a, Royer had to drop super deep on that left-hand side that first game, and his goal threat was effectively taken away by that. But on the other end, you know, when we talk about the lack of a playmaker, our fullbacks were playmakers this mm-hmm. year. Amir was yeah. one of the uh, biggest playmakers on this team because of his dribbling ability. And having that disappear all of a sudden, as soon as the playoffs began, you know, it wasn't just his dribbling, but it was his crossing as well. You know, like, hit a really bad patch of form as soon as they began. His and, crossing in that first leg in, uh, in Columbus was, like, shockingly bad. Like, that that was really, really, really bad. Yeah. I mean, man, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it, back, I think. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say too. I mean, it's 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 a it's another knock on effect of Connor Laid being out there because I you know who knows what their plan is if Kamara is out there. But you know, Atlanta had you know Remetti, their more defensive midfielder, over on that side where Michael attacks or Amir attacks, and you know it's just another area where the fact that we don't have that usual threat from the deep left um, going forward and backward meant that Atlanta didn't really have to worry about shifting guys over to the right where Mario usually overloads. So I just want to add that little um, rejoinder not to pile on, you know, Connor even more, but yeah. yeah. And, and, and my, my big issue with, with, uh, with Amir on that first leg was kind of a problem that he has that he's shown a couple times throughout the year, it, but it's, and it's, and it's, it's something that you would see once in a while but it it's not something that would kind of it would rarely kind of bite him, you know. It, it would just be kind of something you're kind of left like, dude, what are you doing? The problem is he had too many of those in this game, and twice it it led to goal scoring, you know, to 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 conceding goals. On the first goal, can Parker do better defending in that moment? Yeah, I don't know how the hell he gets beat on. I don't. I don't. I still don't know how the hell that happens. He's such a tall, big guy. And somehow the ball goes right over it. I've heard lost it in the lights and shit like that. That's yeah, that is yeah, yeah, that's true. I I, I actually haven't thought about that. 
but, but the he's problem been, is, not the first time he's lost balls in the air this season. I, I will say for like Vancouver, saying, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, even that's up against Boston, who's a he's a big boy himself. Yeah, like Parker, like I, I like. Feels he just like got almost, manned. Well, but it feels like it feels like every other game. I feel like he will like lose like a routine goal kick, like just in the air. He'll lose it like you yeah. know, like an outfielder, um, you know, getting it lost, you know, maybe in the lights or whatever. But I mean, Parker for a guy who's a you know big old big old dude like him, he is not that imposing in the air sometimes. Yeah, it that is weird. Yeah. But but with kind of just I'm sorry, kind of just go back to Amir though. If you remember that first goal, Parker gets beat, fine. But like Amir, what are you doing? You, you see that he's possibly getting beat. You got to position yourself, grab him, nudge him, do something. He kind of just like stands there and kind of just concedes the fact that okay, he's going to take a shot. Let's see what happens. You can't do that. You can't turn off in those moments like that. That's that 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 play is almost an example to me of where you can point to that it wasn't necessarily the players natural both both that play and what you mentioned earlier about Royer seeming like demonstrative and flustered about you know being so far back it, that those two moments strike to me that it definitely was kind of a coaching staff decision for the guys to play much more kind of dialed back than they usually do because yeah. the way Lorenowitz just had what like 20 30 yards to just march up and put that ball in that's not something you almost ever see from this team defending yeah again yeah, in, in that moment <laughs> Royer was part of a five man I, I I will never understand that moment I I would love if if I had the opportunity to talk to anyone whether it's the players or any of the coaching staff my question would be not about fucking you know third dp bullshit but my question today would have been what happened on that goal that was the most anti red bull like type of play moment i think i've seen since 2015 i i i still watch that in horror cuz i just can't i can't wrap my head around how royer ended up so far back how nobody not one person except for Kaku at the last moment when he kind of you almost seen in his face where he's like oh shit nobody is pressing him let me try to press by that point it was too late but he had acres of space everyone sat back Parker gets beat and Amir kind of just freezes it's unbelievable and then in the third goal no sorry it's the uh the the second goal that's kind of on Amir, on, on Amir too. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Gressel. Gressel comes comes charging in full speed. I mean, he is literally sprinting, and he just he tries to backpedal. He tries to backpedal, and then right as he's getting beat, he's like, "Oh, okay, I'm not going to stop him. Let me turn around." You're way too late at that point, dude. Like, what? Come on, you got to know better. You have to read the moment better than that. If you have to make that turn faster and 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 find a way to to you know put a little 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 different pressure on him, fine. But you don't you don't backpedal until he's past you or or in line with you. And at that point, the other side is completely failing because again, late is I don't know what he was thinking. He's not marking his dude at all, and he basically plays. He actually may have blocked Luis uh, in that in the, in that um, on that shot, by the way. But he basically ends up literally about three or four feet in, in front of Robles inside, inside the uh, inside the box, and the guy's got all the space in the world to just perfectly place this beautiful ball. That was just a complete collapse of of everything good that this back line has done this whole season. It's 
it's it, that to me that's probably one, like one of the most frustrating parts. It's not even that. It's not even that they that maybe they played a little bit more conservative on the press than they, than they should have, or or the fact that we didn't have the depth or any of that shit. I, I'm more disappointed at like the amount of just individual mental lapses that some of these guys had that had performed at such a high level the whole season. Like our biggest thing going into this into this uh into this uh the the series against Atlanta was okay, great, their attack is amazing, but so our defense was at least as good as their attack. And we fucking lose three to nothing because of, of mental lapses. It's it's frustrating. I think you know, I think it, 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 part of it has to do with the fact that you know we, we we really forget with how excellent they played all season that this is still a back line where the average age is hovering around 24 25 you know like these are still young defenders who will unfortunately be prone to some mental lapses such as this i mean not so much in the case of connor laid because i think connor's case is kind of him just more being a bit more of a limited vet in this point of his career but when you talk about Amir maybe being a bit too um, – making all these kind of uh, strange mental lapses on defense, you know, I think that this in part, you know, has been hinted at in the past by none other than Jesse Marsh, you know. And I'm going to – this is going to be a first for me on this podcast. You know, I think Jesse was right <laughs> hey. in saying that um, – <laughs> And saying that Amir, you know, like does have that kind of casual streak to him sometimes, you know, um, where you could kind of see it, it, the, the, the way that he just kind of, you know, didn't, didn't really just kind of gave up on the, uh, gave up on the, uh, play in the first goal in the league against Atlanta was one such incident, but you also saw it against, you know, DC when uh, Lucho Acosta ran at him, you know, and uh, the dying moments of the game at Audi Field, where we looked to, to make it 3-2 just when stoppage time began for DC United, right? Uh, there are a number of other incidences. A game against Montreal is another one. Um, I think a lot of that has to kind of do with the fact that we forget from time to time that Amir is still only 22 years old. And that might be something that surprises, you know, a few people. But it's true. Amir's 22. He's not going to be the most um, mentally um, solid player, I think, at this point in his career. You see this from young defenders sometimes, you know, they're because of uh, they don't quite haven't quite nurtured the mindset. They haven't quite nurtured the uh, awareness or the um, or the concentration needed to play a full season of excellent soccer. You know, sure. like they haven't quite turned off your uh they haven't quite figured out how to not turn up turn how to not activate your off switch i would say you know and this is something that would happen and they would learn from through just proper experience you know like there's no real quick fix to mental lapses like this other than just letting them continue to play it's also a kind of a thing it's it Amir is kind of an interesting fullback because I, I think a lot of what you're saying about not necessarily being tuned in all the time and, and you know, it speaks to kind of his whole game because he you think of a fullback as usually one of the more energetic positions on the field where a guy is always kind of like, you know, tuned on and all action and, you know, constantly running and stuff like that. 
that's not really Amir's game necessarily on either side of the ball. He is he's very he's taller than a usual fullback. He's he's kind of languid. He's he's not somebody who takes like big touches. He's a guy who will sort of take it and and you know kind of linger on the ball a little more than a usual fullback. He's he's not you know he's unique in that for a fullback in that way, and I think that's a positive for him in a lot of games. And it, it's tough for other teams to figure out how to mark him and how to contain him that way. But it also lends itself to you know those sort of uh, wrinkles in his game that he still has to work out, like you're talking about. Yeah, no, certainly. And when you talk about, I mean, you know, this languid, loose style is probably the most defining aspect of his game. You know, I think not just his technical or his physical attributes but also in his mental attributes, you know, like I think we've seen a fair, a, a, a fair bit of times this season, like I mentioned earlier, where he just kind of let people maybe blow past him and not really try and make up for it. But I think that's also in part due to the fact that he's not the most explosive athlete. You know, I mean, I think his balance is impeccable. His, uh, his balance is great. Ability yeah. to just kind of change. Yeah, his balance is great. He changes direction on a dime. He's got this really, you know, he's got he's a, he's got this really clean look when he just kind of elegantly glides past dudes, you know, despite not being the most the most explosive player. But that does kind of hamper him to a degree as a fullback, you know. And I think, in part, um, um, what I think has kind of made up for that so far is that you know when despite the fact that he does kind of switch off every now and then he still is positionally sound enough to know where to be most of the time. And he is, like you said, a very unique player because he threatens by through his positioning and through his ability to just pin back the opposition on their flank. And that way the opposition kind of tries to break out against him. You know, it's pretty clear that, there is a pretty good chance of breaking down his flank if you get him in a one-on-one situation. He plays defense by playing offense, and that's what makes him very unique as a fullback. You know, I think um, something to kind of look to as he develops as a player is whether or not he ever really figures out how to activate this always-on mentality. You know, to, to use one of those shitty corporate buzzwords. You know, <laughs> like he does need to kind of develop this as a player going forward. And you know, I hope to see that he learns from that because. Well, I think we'll be touching on this a bit later when we talk about the end of year stuff, but yep. it's going to be an integral part that of understanding that you can be the best defense in MLS history and still have room to grow. Yeah. You know, I think there's that's kind of be the exciting thing for me when we talk about the exit interviews later. But this is this was a this was a this was a learning experience for them, and I'm going to go from corporate buzzwords to coach yeah. talk. You know. It's a it's a learning experience. Gonna invoke my my uh, mini um, uh, fucking Jurgen Klopp here. Unfortunately, it's a learning experience for our players to understand that as much as they've accomplished in this season, you know, they can they all as a unit still have so much more to to go as a unit, but also individually as players, you know. And these are one of those moments that highlight that to us, which is why I think they can be kind of shocking. And why we might be we we might be kind of caught off guard by these kind of things, but it's true, you know. Like, of how young this team is, there are a number of guys who still be works in progress, and this is one of those incidences. And that's all I really. Got. So we we decided yeah. it's it's Connor and Amir's fault. Fault. We're, we're it's settled. 
<laughs> that's where it's Orlando's out. fault. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's Orlando's fault because that's where Duncan got hurt. Oh, good point. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, wow. We 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 spent all this time talking about the Atlanta game without even really. Talking <laughs> I, about I seriously AR. did think you like that's, when that's you threw great. the muffle. I thought you said Orlando, and I was like, did he really say Orlando? He did say Orlando. Like that's that's a, that's Orlando, a throwback, yeah. man. That's a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true though. I think when, though, like when when you do talk about potential for next year, you know, like one of the key things that I would like the team um, to address in the offseason, you know, is like finding additional fullback depth. Because I'm sorry, like Connor's just not going to cut it at an MLS mm-hmm. level anymore. You know, like he can spot start as maybe like the last option off the bench for like a game against weaker opponents or lesser opposition, but he's not going to be the guy you want to trot out in an emergency start against the second best team in MLS history, you know? And um, I know like, okay. I mean like he, he, he provides all these things that all these old heads love to like fucking fall over themselves. praising, you know? <laughs> Like the veteran presence, the grit, the heart, the hustle, but you see, like from Morris County, <laughs> yeah. But you see, like all these things, you know, like grit, heart, hustle. You know, I mean, that's great intangibles. But if you're misapplying them, or you don't have the intelligence to apply them in a smart way, like it's kind of meaningless to me because that's just kind of empty effort, if you ask me. Like it's kind of, would kind of be like, you know, I think if you want to criticize Alex Muil for kind of not having anything to give, but running really hard, you know, like, Oh yeah. That 100% applies to Connor late as well. Like, yeah. Connor, like he's, he, when he's out there, he, he's like, he's almost like he's throwing himself at people. Like he's, he has to build up like such a head of steam to get to any sort of ball. That's not, within a few yards of him. I mean, he, and it takes him out of plays. Like he makes one action and it's hard for him to recover and get back into the game. I mean, there's just so many ways that that happened in the first game. Like a lot that, that, that honestly happened by my count. Cause I saw the, I saw the game in full. um, uh, uh, And that's why they were sending the ball every time. Because even if he, even if he got to it, the, the ball would come loose and he would be nowhere near I, it. I mean, because I counted, yeah, I counted at least four times where where the ball, where his just his his inability to kind of get out of his own way, really put the team in a bad spot. And, and we're kind of lucky that uh, you know they didn't give up another goal or more than they did. And you see, there are a number of other times in the season where you saw this. You know, I think uh, the New England away game uh, at Gillette earlier this season, where he just kind of booted on a ball. A long ball from the back that was played out by the Revolution just kind of flew over his head because he tried to commit to uh, attacking it and realized, oh shit, I'm five foot five, and it flew over his yeah. head. You know, like these are the kind of things that um, I feel just kind of highlight that okay, he's a homegrown player who he developed in by our own, but I think at this point, even our earliest homegrowns aren't really good enough to play in the system full time, you know, to kind of meet the demands of what our style of play wants from them. You know, I, and I think if this is one, this is one of those other gauges to kind of determine to see how far this club has come in barely five or six years. A lot of those early homegrown guys aren't good enough to cut the mustard anymore. And 
I think Matt Castle, man, <laughs> you fucking can't can't fucking cut it, man. You're done. <laughs> Hang it up. Yeah, you know, I, I, I would say, yeah, like 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 Connor Laid is the Matt Castle of the of the uh, homegrown players for sure. Um, <laughs> other things I'm gonna throw out. Um, oh no, you, do you think I'm talking about Matt Castle, the NFL guy? Because yeah, there is the there is a quarterback. there is a there is another Matt Castle who was like the the big jewel of the first Red Bull Academy team. Oh wait, day. that's Matt Castle of a K, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he's like a you know fucking car dealer or something now. Well, one thing I'll <laughs> one thing I, I want to bring up real quick is if you just look at the progress and quality as far as like just an individual player from Laid to some of the 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 more recent Academy kids to come out. Like just look at the improvement that that we've seen from our Academy kids over the years. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. And there's, there's no, I mean, if you are old Academy kids, I mentioned Matt Castle, there was, there are a few others like Cessier Hot and some of those other guys who they couldn't even break into the Hans Baca teams back when MLS was a much more, you know, kind of spotty league than it is now. Um, so, I mean, the fact that these guys are going toe to toe with, you know, I mean, let's not let's not kiss Atlanta's feet too much. But the fact that we have, you know, guys like Alex Moyle and Sean Davis and, you know, whatnot going up against uh, guys like Martinez and Almiron, who are, you know, full internationals um, who, you know, come from high levels, um, you know, we're definitely, you know, producing a higher caliber caliber of player. I mean, that's, you know, empirical evidence right there. Yeah. And I think uh, one thing I'm going to touch on before I think we wrap the segment up is, you know, I touched, I, I mentioned this earlier, when you talk about weaponized hustle, grit, and like all those intangibles that people fucking love to talk about, right? Like, like, look at the way, like, in comparison, like, Connor Laid and Alex Meal was the example that I threw out earlier, you know, like, Alex Meal is a great example, I feel, of weaponized hustle, you know, because he understands hustling in context of the press, and mm-hmm. in context of of the movements of what everyone else on the team is doing, which is why I think some of the uh, stats came out earlier this season. That's the reason why he's fifth in the league in total expected goal chain. And, you know, I think say what you will about like event statistics and stuff like that, but these are really good indicators of the kinds of contributions that some players like offer um, that aren't just limited to putting the ball in the back of the net taking shots or like making killer assists, you know, like when you look at the way Alex just generates so many turnovers by himself on the offense, on the, on the offensive side in the, sorry, in the opponent's defensive half, you know, like he's probably the best indication of, you know, like what it means to have a lot of hustle in context of the system. And I'm not sure if Connick's Connor really quite has a grasp in that, you know, because I mean, you see him running around, you see him trying really hard, but it's not done in context of what the rest of the team is doing and not done in a way that ultimately helps benefit the overall way that we want to play. And that's what we're going to be having as we go on is that we're kind of having all these homegrowns who have all these intangibles that you people will love that are going to be doing that in a weaponized fashion, in a fashion that is in context of the demands of how this team wants to play. Just and dangerous, violent children coming exactly. up through our academy. We have child yeah, I soldiers mean, we, coming up. 
That's where Red Bull Global develops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, it's like we met. We've mentioned before. Like it's 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 incredible to think that we have as good as our homegrowns have been. Whether we're talking about Adams or or you know the guys who were just really really at a high level. Maybe not someone who's going to get transferred over to you know to Germany, Europe, or something like that. But who, who are still really really good players. We still haven't seen anyone who 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 came up through the academy who only knows the high press. And I am so excited for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, we'll be talking about this a bit more in depth uh, right after this, actually, as we talk about the uh, exit interviews and the year ahead for uh, what, for the uh, offseason. So, uh, yeah, don't go away, Metro Fan TV. We'll be right back right after this. And we're back into weekly rundown after that break. So, wow, sorry, break. Wow, no, I mean, brief break. <laughs> Uh, I guess so. <laughs> you can obviously tell that it's morning here still. Um, yeah. Um, guess now looking ahead to the road ahead, the 2019 season begun the day after we were eliminated from the playoffs, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, I've always thought that it was very cruel that they kind of had to release the uh, roster cuts, actually, for this, for the team, like uh, the day after them the day after they were eliminated from the playoffs because the body's not even cold yet and here we are like having to say goodbye to people who were very special members of the uh this very special team but uh i guess we'll begin our discussion of um the events that transpired i think after after our elimination from the playoffs by getting i think probably the biggest story out the way first and you know i mean we we knew that this that this day was coming and you know i think it's it, the writing was on the wall the moment that uh we saw him take flight this season and uh, that's tyler adams landing in leipzig um reuniting with jesse marsh with the red bull sister club in germany i mean guys uh i mean uh it, it's hard not getting emotional about this i think you know because this, this, <laughs> whatever. I think it was Mapu who uh, kind of summed it up actually, who said that this kind of felt like uh, sending your kid off to college, I think. <laughs> right? Like, it's just such an incredible accomplishment, you know, like not just for Tyler, like in the way that he's come, come along as a player over the last two or three years, but also for the organization, you know, where you've commanded. And incredibly, what was touted as a $10 million transfer fee um, earlier this year for a guy who grew up barely an hour or two away from Red Bull Arena. You know, like, um, (sighs) it's hard not to get emotional about this, like I said. I mean, like, my, my heart, believe me, is just swelling with pride right about now. Um, like, just, just, just like, 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 he, he made it through every single age group in the Red Bull organization, and is now one of the, and is now not just a cornerstone for the national team's future, but potentially has the potential to have a European career that I think may potentially eclipse any other local locally grown American in like the history of the program. And that 
no matter what you may feel like that undoubtedly comes down to the Red Bull investment in the academy. Like these guys don't become USMNT without that Red Bull money, people. Like if I'm being quite honest with you, like, um, I think in terms of a landing spot, I think you guys would kind of agree that this was ideal for Tyler's next step, right? Cause this would sort of be a team that kind of understands, uh, his skill set knows how to apply them in a style of play that he's already super familiar with. And this is a matter of ways of like giving him the biggest platform, I think, to strut his stuff on a European level, you know, potentially competing for Champions League spots, playing for one of the best teams in the Bundesliga. And it's going to be an advertisement, I think, for the Red Bull Global program that he can potentially command an even bigger sell-on fee to another club who might make another move for him in about maybe three or four years. And he's done all of this before he turned 20, which is kind of unbelievable to me. Yeah. Like, uh, where do you see the ceiling for this guy, man? I mean, anyone want to take a gander? Yeah, I mean, I... I... For one, I just want to say that this is... I feel like this is a bigger moment than when Miazga was transferred. Right, it was definitely a lot of lot of talk when 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 Miaz was transferred, most centered around the money. But if like this time around, the conversation isn't about the money part one because we don't know how much was actually transferred for. But also, I feel like it's just more significant because Miazga had one good season for us, and then he left. Adams has been with us for a couple of years now. Like, there's been a visible, like, gradual um, uh, improvement in what we've seen with him. We saw what happened in 2015 when he came out and, and how well he played against Chelsea. He was, what, 14, 15, 15 I think, at the time? Uh, I think he was already, like, 16, but it's still impressive. Okay, he had, yeah. He had, he had braces on. Like, yeah. Let's be real, <laughs> yeah. Like. Um, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, so 2015, he makes that, 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 you know, that kind of breakout moment where I think a lot of us knew about him, but now the kind of everyone else out there was like, whoa, who the hell is this little kid? And then 2016, he's in USL, wins the USL uh, uh, the USL's regular season championship, and then uh, the cup. And then 2017 and 2018, I mean, he's just improved so much. It's just such a good feeling. For me, it's just so much different seeing him grow over the course of the last couple of years. You really do feel like, as a fan, you know, not in a weird way, you're kind of part of it, you know, just because you've seen him grow into what he's become now. And, and, Seeing him grow the way he has just makes me even more confident that he'll do very well, I think, with Leipzig. he th The thing that's impressed me the most with him, I think, is how well he just has elevated his play based on a competition, right? He goes against Chelsea as a young kid, and yes, it's a friendly, but still, you're, you're a 16-year-old American kid. You're not supposed to be able to do these things even in a friendly against Chelsea, who had just won, you know, the who just won a Premier League just a couple of months before that. He 2016 USL, his first ever professional championship, uh, his first ever year as a professional. He stepped up and he was one of the best players on the team. 2017 comes up, he's one of the best players in the team. 2018 comes up, he's one of the best players in the team. He just always finds a way to like just elevate his play every time he makes the bump. Like it's nothing, like he, he doesn't need this like long transition period. So now you bring him to Europe where most Americans unfortunately have a little bit of a tough time because it's a cultural difference. It's a, it's a step up in, in, in quality, step up in play and all other good stuff. The fact that he is now stepping up to 
a better league, but going to a team that plays so similar to us, that's in a very friendly environment, a welcome environment, because he's part of the Rebel family. Some people might might cringe when they hear that, but it's the reality. This is, you know, Rebel Global is all under the same umbrella. So for him to make that big step up, playing with his old coach, with Jesse Marsh, playing in a club that he's already trained before a couple of years ago, it's going to be, this is the best possible situation and environment I think probably any American player could possibly be in making that jump to Europe. So not only is he is his just his natural ability to step it up, I think good enough for any team to, to, to succeed, but the fact that he's going specifically to Leipzig in that situation, I, I think Adams has the chance to 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 surpass some of the best some some of the best American players ever in Europe, in my opinion. I think uh should taken a challenge, signed with like Burnley or Stoke. Learned how to play some some real some real <laughs> soccer. Learn under a real manager like like Neil Warnock or somebody. But like you guys said, <laughs> but like you guys said, it's 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 almost like too good to be true. What like a, a perfect situation he's gone through. Like if you had you know gone down, you know as I'm sure probably like uh, you know whoever the powers that be like Andy Roxburgh, whoever five years ago wrote out a plan to have a kid come through and progress. It would have played out exactly like it has for Tyler. Like, you know, I don't really have to add too much to what you guys already said. He's going to where Jesse Marsh already is. Um, and already, you know, he, he and Jesse, I think there was already a cutesy little quote where Tyler said, Oh, Jesse's going to be my translator. They're going to be going through the kind of the same adjustment at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, just, yeah, it's same same playing style. Um, he's going to be kind of probably in the the same system. I mean, it's you know almost almost too good to be true. Um, the only on I don't see any reason why outside of an act of God that Tyler would not succeed in this situation. So it's going to be fun to see. And and, and uh, even I'm sorry, just real quick, even the timing of it. Like a lot of people thought, oh, he should have went there last year, but. Really, this year is kind of that perfect moment because there's a little bit of a hole, I think, to a degree in, in that position when it comes to depth. And this might be a good chance where he may very well kind of step in in January and, and actually start getting some minutes. I don't I don't think we're going to see him rotting the bench for too long before he makes uh, not just his debut before, but before you actually start seeing uh, uh, the staff kind of be like, OK, maybe he is an option to maybe kind of start. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, like, uh, every year that Tyler has spent at our organization, you know, it's been uh, it's been a new challenge for him that's been presented to him every single year that he's been on. You know, like in uh, 16, it was proving that he could be a, at least a USL-level defensive midfielder in the scheme that he wanted, and he in the scheme that we want the team to play. And he answered that, and then semi-field. In 2017, it was making that, um, it was adapting to the MLS level of play, and he did that in a position where he may not necessarily have been very familiar with it right wing back when Jesse made his play three in the back that whole year. And then why I think I'm going to echo what you said about 2018 kind of being that showcase season where he could undisputedly, undisputedly be probably the best holding slash box to box midfielder in MLS, you know, and he that was kind of what he proved this season. Like you can kind of see the progression of his uh, of his career as 
answering those challenges along the way. And now his 2019 season of Leipzig is going to be answering whether or not he can play that central midfield, that sort of destroyer role with a European team, you know? And when you see the progression that he's made and you see the e, how he's basically answered every single challenge that's kind of he's encountered along the way and while well, growing as a player as a result, I think you see you just gain glimpses of just how high this ceiling is. And, you know, like there'll be some there's that one fucking dumbass at MLS Digital who insists that he's a fullback. Like, that's a whole. Oh, who's that? Yeah. Who says that? Like. Yeah, <laughs> who who was it that tweeted uh, earlier today? Some some bullshit about um, uh, uh, I think they may have acknowledged that there was a little bit of a hole in in, in the defense mid spot, and they're like, yeah, you know, for now maybe the con- the rumors will end about him being on a right back. What fucking rumors? Other than that stupid shithead over an MLS digital, who the hell has ever made a serious argument that? Especially after this year, that Adams should be a right back. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, dude. I mean, like you, you even saw it. Saw him playing for the national team. Like you can see how high the ceiling is for him. At like you know, as a as a central holding I'm, slash. I'm more interested to see. You know? you know, I mean, right back. All right, we got that out of the way. But I'm interested to see. Especially when, I mean, unless the plan is for him to stay in the Red Bull family his entire career, um, when he does leave Leipzig and goes out um, into, you know, the wilderness of of European soccer, that is he going to be more of a kind of a six, like you guys said? Is he going to be a guy who kind of hangs back and destroys play, or can he add an offensive side to his game? We've seen flashes of it um, here or there with Red Bull and with that one national team game a couple months ago, but he, he, he's, he's a natural at all aspects of the game really. Um, and the more and more, you know, he learns how to get into the box if he wants to. Um, I think he can become a player who provides goals and creates chances, but maybe in the long term, the, the, you know, more sophisticated minds than me in Germany, will see him, you know, maybe being more of a stay at home, deeper player. And, you know, maybe that doesn't utilize as much of his mobility, but maybe that gives him more longevity as a player, gives him more, um, uh, you know, more dimension to his game. So uh, it'll be interesting to see in that respect, too. Well, I think what I could argue is that, um, you know, there is an aspect of playmaking to his game, but not in the traditional sense where he's going to be playing some kind of ridiculous through ball into someone streaking in on the wing or through the center, you know. Like, I feel like Tyler's playmaking... Um, kind of applies to what we talk about when we we talk about him being such an efficient midfield destroyer, you know, I feel like he creates plays by being so disruptive. Oh yeah. He's he's like a wheel in the center. Like he, yeah. yeah, Wow. Wow. I was kind of going to touch on, wait, give me, give me a second. Give me a second. Is that like, (laughs) yeah. Like you, you, I think he's so versatile in the center of the field that like, you know, like, him making a difference on the game doesn't necessarily include him sitting deep and being a deep holding disruptor. You know, mm. like we've seen it many times this season where he, where him playing as the advanced destroyer creates so many opportunities for us because he doesn't let the opposition transition out of defense and causes turnovers high up the field. You know, he wins the ball back high up the field, plays it off to somebody or makes another surging run deep at the heart, 
at the heart of their defense. You know, like these are the kind of things that we talk about when it comes to non-traditional playmakers being central in the system of play, right? Like we we're used to thinking of playmakers as being that guy who has an eye for a pass to bring other an eye for a pass to allow, uh, ease up space or find space for his opponents. Like this is a different kind of playmaking because you're seeing physical confrontation and pressing kind of yield the same result, you know, like high pressing here opens up space for other teammates. It's for them to hit on the break. And this is where I think it would be a very interesting thing. Like I'm going to echo what Cork said, basically, that it'd be interesting to see if they can harness this and turn him into a player who can do this at a higher level than he's, he's kind of encountered in the past. You know, I think it's going to be very interesting seeing the development of that side of his game to see if he can sort of create this new, be the mold for this new advanced destroyer position that we're already kind of seeing with N'Golo Kante at Chelsea, who I think is kind of like his closest comparison in terms of playing. Well, the the comparison for a while by a lot of people was, uh, what's his name, who was transferred out of Leipzig recently, who played the same Nabi position? Kaita. Yeah, and, and yeah, and and like that's kind of what I mean. I know I was kind of on that train for for a while, especially last year. Um, there's definitely some similar characteristics in terms of how they play and and what they bring to the table. I can't help but but wonder if that's kind of more the role that he would take in because he was very 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 uh, important to the build up in their attack, especially on transition where he kind of did that. He was kind of like this advanced destroyer and, and he was so crucial to not letting, uh, uh, you know, attackers kind of get comfortable. So I don't know. I mean, the, I think Leipzig plays a little bit different now. I think they've definitely adjusted to not having them, but I can't help but wonder if they wouldn't mind having another version of that. Maybe not the same, obviously, but maybe kind of getting back some of those characteristics that maybe they lost when, uh, when they lost kind of. I see Tyler as much, you know, the, the more this conversation goes on, I see Tyler as more likely to, yeah, lead towards being a more advanced midfielder than a deeper kind of six guy. Um, it's just, yeah, like I kind of hinted to it where it's it's almost like a waste of his of his talent and his mobility and his ability to, to cover ground to keep him staying deeper at the base of midfield. And yeah, he's proven that he can, yeah, get forward and cause problems, create chaos in the final third. I, I think he, in a team... Like I said, if he if he progresses and leaves maybe Leipzig and goes to a team that plays a different system, he could absolutely eat up as say like one of the front two midfielders in a in a four three three that relies on you know cutbacks and crosses. Um, that's an area where he could maybe potentially shine as an offensive player in the future. So yeah, I mean he's he's special. He has he has attributes that not a lot of players in any country have. So you know it'll be interesting to see how teams and coaches utilize it as he moves up to higher levels. Yeah, you know, certainly like uh, one one of the more prominent members of a very new breed of defensive so-called defensive midfielders, you know, like when we're starting to see a shift away from like those midfielders who just kind of sit deep and, you know, try and um shield their back lines by anticipating um by through anticipation positioning and being the first to sweep in for passes, you know, I think we're starting to see a bit more of a proactive holding midfield. We're starting to see more proactive holding midfielders nowadays. Because teams play out of the back more. Yeah, as a as a tactic to exactly to do exactly that, disrupt the build up at the back. That for teams that try to build possession at the back, you know, like a, 
the European game has shifted in this direction where they're starting to demand play like that exact kind of player, a player who proactively harasses people from a slightly more advanced position than where you find your traditional holding midfielder, you know? And I think he's going to fit that mold really well. But I think I'm going to shift the um, conversation a bit back to uh, operations in New York now, because I think this Tyler moving does open up a very big hole in midfield. But to a degree, we've kind of already um, kind of addressed that. Um, the offseason before with the signing of a certain Christian Caceres Jr. And Christian I think uh, this is what I'm going to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> El segundo, el segundo. Yes. Um, what I what I would say is that, like, I think, like, this was probably going to be one of the more intriguing storylines that uh, we that'll be attached to our team going into twenty nineteen is who steps up to fill in that role. And I think I'm going to start discussion on this particular um, on this particular topic by pointing out that we already kind of do have someone who was earmarked for this position. In Christian Caceres Jr. If you saw him at Red Bull 2, I think uh, it's hard not to uh, kind of get excited about the potential of this kid. Because I think while he may not necessarily be the athlete that Tyler is, you know, like he's certainly more of a technical player. And he has a certain positional awareness, I think, that is kind of rare to see in in, in a teenage midfielder. And, you know, like he's got in my opinion, like a much better touch. He's got a slightly large, he's got a pretty, he's got a pretty decent passing range to boot. And he, while he kind of makes up for the fact that he doesn't quite have Tyler's athleticism by the fact that he's, you know, he's very positionally sound and finds himself in the right position to be in more often than not, you know? And that's why I think you're going to see an interesting tactical shift, I think, because Caceres is a bit more of that traditional holding midfielder. Like I think that we pointed out, like a, he, one comparison that I might give is Michael Carrick. It's exactly, yeah, because he, he's very much... So he started out, his father was a striker, um, or his father still is a striker. His dad's still playing in, like, the D- Dominican Republic or some shit. But um, he has... He apparently got moved to midfield as a teenager when he was, you know, kind of moving up into the professional game. And you can definitely see that he has, like... Especially in his, his national team clips, uh, he like kind of sits back and almost strikes the ball out wide. He switches play. He's he's a lot different from Tyler in that respect. And I'm a little bit worried that in that respect he might kind of take up the same space and perform a lot of the same duties that Sean Davis has started to in the team. But um, you know, it remains to be seen. We don't even know if necessarily he is gonna be the plugged in starter, the way Tyler was at the beginning of last year. But I mean, it's hard not to see how he wouldn't be unless we want to keep, you know, keep this same high level of play up because I mean, um, Tyler was thrown in there and I think it was, I think it was Jesse Marsh who are, and you know, maybe other people than him who have come out and said publicly like Caceres is further along than Tyler was at that age. Um, Caceres might have a higher ceiling. Like, you know, um, this was a, he was a pretty, pretty big deal player for us to be signing, um, even though Venezuela is not the most heralded, you know, football country, um, he's really highly regarded prospect out of there playing in their U17 team, you know, uh, kind of getting some notice from other clubs, even outside of MLS. So, um, you know, Caceres might be just as much of a phenomenon as Tyler. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, I would, I've, I'm still like, 
every once in a while I remember about that quote and and I think I think I think by now or by by time Jesse left I think it was pretty easy to tell to kind of read him right you can kind of tell when he was kind of bullshitting you can kind of tell when he was kind of you know just just talking just to talk you can tell when he was being like sincere and he really really sounded sincere when he when he said that that he felt that he was further developed along relative to age than Tyler Adams. And to me, that really struck me. And it's not only just look at him play for Red Bull too. I was pretty impressed with how well he played in Houston. He kind of, you could tell physically he was just kind of like tired by the end of the game. Or by the time he was, uh, I think he was subbed out of that game towards the end of the game, wasn't he? I don't remember. I think he was, yeah. I don't remember him. Yeah, I don't think he played the full ninety. Uh, uh, the full ninety, but I, but like I, for me, that's just. I mean, that's not that big of a deal. You just have to kind of fall into the fitness of them of of of, uh, of MLS. You're you're going to cover more ground. We, we only won that know. game one nil, right? I think we, we were yeah under, yeah that that was we protecting sure. one goal. That yeah. Was, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, that was a game that uh, that Muil hustled. And and got that Scooped really good back assist. For White, that's right. Yeah. The Brian White, yeah, the Brian White goal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, what the hell was I saying? Oh yeah, yeah. So for me, that wasn't a concern because look, when when you're playing in MLS, for the most part, with the exception of of a baseball stadium and a couple of other smaller ones, I think Portland's kind of a smaller stadium too. You know the fields are gonna be a little bit bigger. You're gonna, it's a faster play, so I fully expected him to not physically be there in terms of like you know stamina, endurance. But outside of that, his actual play, there was about a the first maybe ten minutes where you can kind of see he was just kind of feeling things out. For me, by the thirtieth minute and definitely by the half, he looked comfortable. It, it did not look like if 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 someone who didn't know who. I didn't follow the team that well, and you said this is the first time he's ever played in MLS. You that, that person would probably be surprised. So for me, that gave me comfort because comes next year, I don't think he's going to flinch. I don't think there's going to really be too many moments, at least at first, where you're going to kind of see that that like shit. He's kind of new right now, you know, and and that might kind of put us in, in put us into some trouble. So that makes you feel good. Um, he's not the same player. And I think we've we've talked about that I think a lot and, and a couple of times we've talked about him kind of in, in detail that he doesn't have the athleticism uh, as Tyler Adams, but I also think that he's at least as good as him when it comes to understanding like the game state, understanding positional. He's like his positional awareness is really good, and I've noticed that he uses that to his advantage where sometimes he ends up in places where you wouldn't expect him to be in because he's able to read the ball. So read the game so well, there's times where I'm like, wait, when did he get there? Like, I know he's not fast. I know he's not that fast where he could have gotten there, but it's just, he's reading the game. He's able to read the ball so well and, and read other players movements. So I, I wonder if we won't see as big of a, I wonder if we won't miss Adam's, flat out athleticism as much as we think because he's able to kind of make up for that with, with his, uh, you know, situation, situational and, and positional. Awareness. I think uh, Kassar's is going to be a lot better at, uh, whereas Tyler 
Tyler won his balls and, you know, affected play by making kind of like bigger, longer runs in open space. Whereas I think Caceres is going to be a lot better. Um, Cause if you've watched him in USL, like he can bang, like with, even though he doesn't run as fast as Tyler, he's, he's tough. He's strong. He'll win balls and shield the ball. He can, he can maneuver in tighter spaces, I think better than Tyler. So there's going to be some areas where he, he might, you know, have the edge on Tyler if he doesn't necessarily have that game affecting ground covering that Tyler does. And he's also better at passing. So I think there's going to be moments where Adams kind of, ha- you know, he where he tracked back, you know, and, and made a run, whatever. But he kind of had to move the ball a little bit to kind of get close to everyone before he can kind of make that lethal pass. Whereas with Caceres, it's no, he's really good at, at passing, whether it's short range, mid range and long range, where maybe he doesn't need that super great athleticism to kind of get him into certain places where as long as he wins the ball, he's already in a good position just because he is so good with the ball. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, I think I kind of touched on this earlier and I'm going to apologize in advance for turning this into Manchester United hour for about five minutes. But um, I think you can, like, I'm going to use an analogy from soccer history to kind of anticipate like what people might be expecting from this, but this does kind of strike me when, (laughs) <laughs> we, when you lost a similar like box to box destroyer in Roy Keane, you know, who could kind of cover every blade of grass in the pitch and just one balls like as a machine from when they switched from Roy Keane to Michael Carrick, you know, who was a slightly they more gave him the a, same number drawn player. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Having the same number and everything slightly more of drawn player who made his who basically made a career out of positional sense and having an excellent and passing range. And was hated by Manchester United fans for fucking yeah. ever. Yeah. And he, he was, he, like, it didn't take to him immediately because, like, you know, like, they were like, what the fuck is this? Like, this isn't, this isn't what we thought we bought. Like, this guy, this guy can't run, he can't put in a tackle, and he can't, he's just, and he's, a, he's like, doesn't have, like, the same measurable amount of athleticism that made Roy Keane great. But, this is a similar sort of proposition that I kind of foresee because like here you have a more technical player who goes about his business differently. And I think I'm going to start by saying that we kind of have to appreciate Caceres in this different light. You know, we have to start looking at him. We have to understand that what he brings to the table, like you guys said, is markedly a lot different, maybe not like superbly different, but definitely different enough from his immediate predecessor that there might be some bumps in the road immediately because, you know, I think the team will also have to kind of get used to the fact that they don't have the, that kind of motor next to them anymore. But once they kind of learn how Caceres operates and they utilize the best of, you know, his markedly better technical attributes, you know, I think this is where you're going to see a whole new identity to a degree for the way that this team starts out in transition or even like trying to win back the ball. And I think it's notable for Caceres especially because um, he does have experience playing next to players who are similar in profile to Sean Davis in USO. You know, I think if you look at the profound impact that he had on guys like Chris Lima and guys like Steven Echeverria when he was at Ripple too, you know, like I think you can see that there is a bit of a replicable, um, there has been this level of, Elevating these guys, you know, because of the things that he brings to the team. And it's just a matter as well of the team adjusting to that as much as it is him adjusting to the way that the team wants him to play at senior level. 
you know, like when you talk about chemistry, it's that it's that kind of two way thing. And I think a lot of what he might potentially bring to the table has been brought up by you guys, definitely. And I think you're going to be seeing interesting a, a number of interesting things that Chris Armors might be introducing next year as a result of that. You know, like maybe instead of having to rely on Sean Davis to start the transition, we ha- we now have a two headed dragon in midfield that can do exactly that. You know, like. I- I, I present a, a question that I have spent zero seconds thinking about because I just just popped in my head. But the way we describe the way we describe him, are we kind of like low key describing a ten year younger version of Riza? <laughs> maybe. Well, I think I mean it's possible. There is a because bit like Riza's because like but... Riza's not the most athletic guy. Neither is is Christian. He's very very good at passing. Uh, he's very good at reading the game. His positional, his positional awareness, I think, is one of his biggest uh, advantages. That kind of makes up for his lack of raw athleticism. He can, pl- he can, the way he kind of moves and the way he kind of plays, and I don't know, just something that just popped in my head. I wonder if if we're kind of describing a younger version of, of Risen. I'm interested to see like what Lenz just left possible. off as as maybe if uh, Sean Davis is paired with Casares in midfield, that Sean Davis starts to play a more advanced role this next year we've seen i mean last year sean was practically a winger in the formation that we put you know the three six one or whatnot that we had built around sasha last year uh davis was one of the more advanced players in that he can he can score goals he can put through balls in and you know i even though he shines so much as kind of the the base guy in the midfield this year as the six i think you know, Sean's more than capable of being a more kind of mobile, less restrained midfielder going up and joining the attack and pressing more. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going to have to echo that as well, because um, Rizza, I think when you talk about Rizza in this day and age, and I think uh, another thing that we can potentially look to in terms of um, 2019 is whether or not Rizza comes back. But um, in terms of skill sets, you know, I think there is a number, a degree of overlap to a degree with what Rizza brings to the table, that Rizza brings to the table that Christian Caceres might. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, I still feel like Rizza is a better overall pressure at this point. But it might be a case where Caceres has flashed that kind of a kind of a bit more of a deep lying playmaking ability on top of his work in the press that I think makes him very intriguing for me. Like uh, looking at what he's done at Ripple 2, um, he's, he's kind of shown that ability to start transition opportunities from deep with his range of passing and how pinpoint it generally is. Rizzo has done the same as well. You know, I think that there was that one goal, I think, uh, I forget who it was against, but basically Rizzo played a long ball in over the top that landed on the foot of either Bradley Wright Phillips or someone, and uh, Brad basically put in a ball to the far post that Royer punk- punched home. I mean, I forget against which team this was, but we have seen, I think we've seen flashes of what someone with a more deep-lying um, playmaking skill set can do in context of the 2018 team, you know? And that creates all kinds of looks for us, you know? If we can create from deep with these direct balls in over the top that find someone streaking in from the rights that finds a streaking attacker or moving into the channel, then that gives us another way that we can, you know, uh, hit teams in transition before their defense is settled. And I think it's going to make us an overall 
much more varied team in the way that we might try and attack people. Because you're starting to see a bit of a development where it's no longer, you know, either pressing opportunities or just stroking the ball around five-yard passes like you saw under the 2017 team. You know, like you're starting to see some, you're going to start to see a number of guys who can replicate what we've been missing since the Dax McCarty trade and the way that we break lines of defenders with these really aggressive third line passes from deep, you know, and I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to see going forward. And I think Cork brings up a really good point as well. You know, like maybe because of Casares's deep line playmaking ability, you can start to see Sean Davis move up and act as a tertiary playmaker in the attacking third, like we saw earlier in the season, but he was playing uh, as the 10 um, behind Bradley Wright Phillips, you know, like it gives us so many potential opportunities to create overloads. I feel because of, this added technical ability that we that Christian Casares brings that we may not necessarily have seen under Tyler Adams. We maybe we maybe we lose some of the playmaking that his advanced destroying creates, but we also gain an added opportunity in the potential deep line playmaking that Casares gives. You know, it's a bit of a trade off at the end of the day, and that's kind of what it uh, kind of boils down to, down to for me. Yep. Yeah. Anyone got anything else to add, or should we move on to the next? Um, Next round of comments. Next segment, Scrubs uh, getting cut. <laughs> not, not quite yet. Not quite yet. Because we have to talk about Dennis Hamlet and Chris Armis for a bit. Because a couple of interesting tidbits were dropped in those exit interviews, I think. Um, they involve they involve two very interesting names. Anatola Bong and Tim Parker. Yes. And this does start talk about... This does relate back to talk about next year because I think little glimpse, little gleans from these um, from their exit interviews suggests that a Chris Armis sees a bong as an option for next year, and b like Hamlet has openly stated that they are in discussions to bring back Tim Parker, which I think you know I think that's too. I think the latter is especially some pretty big news because it does leave the potential for us to say that we basically retained the best back four in MLS history going into 2019, which has to really, I think, assuage some of the, uh, assuage the loss of Tyler Adams to a degree, you know, because we retained that really good spine that has served as the backbone of this team for most of the season, you know, and I think that has to unequivocally be looked at as good news, you know, despite the fact that we talk about Ty- Parker being maybe a bit more easily replaceable, but you don't need to create this problem for yourself if you don't let the guy go to begin with, right? So yeah. let ha- let Haas win it yeah, fair and square. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, pa- Park re-signing Parker would be incredible, and for me, for me, the the big question comes. What, once that it once that's answered, if he ends up resigning, then now the next big question becomes depth. Where, how are we going to shore up our fullback and center back depth so we do not have to be put in the position that we were that eventually ended our season? So what I think for me, basically best case scenario, you lock in Tim Parker again. Um, maybe you find a way to to convince Amir to stay. Uh, beyond next year. So maybe his mind isn't, I worry a little bit about Amir next year because apparently that's his last, uh, his, uh, that's the last year of his contract. So I don't want this to become a thing where his mind starts drifting 
you know, worrying about what's happening after or summer transfer or anything like that. But maybe that's for another discussion. But Amir, Parker, Long, and Kamar, all back for coming back with Giannis and Duncan as our fullback depth. And then from there, maybe Big Haas as our center back depth. And then kind of you kind of just start from there and build that center back uh, depth from there. I mean, how do we not have the second? How do we not have another season with the best defensive, the best defensive line in, in, in MLS history? I think uh, like uh, Parker's like re- Parker's potential resigning. Like uh, you know, um, when it comes to defensive depth, I don't see how, especially of all the cap space that is opening up um, after this round of roster cuts. Um, that they don't bring in one additional center back to potentially compete for at that spot with Hassan Dunn. You know, and I think it's a good insurance policy to have because as we mm-hmm. proved this year, you know, shit happens. You know, like guys are going to get hurt, um, especially at very key positions. And we were very lucky enough this year that at center back, we mostly played about any of our main two guys getting missing a significant amount of time uh, through injury. You know, like when we look at Long and Parker was mostly then missing time through international call-ups because, you know, fucking Spicy Dave's decided to be a jerk. <laughs> but um, you guys want to hear a scary story? <laughs> um, real real, oh, real yeah, scary sure. story. Gather around. There's a Gold Cup in June that Aaron and Tim are probably going to be called up for. Oh, oh fuck. Fuck, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. Well, then, I the, the, Kamar yeah. would also, oh, wouldn't yeah. he? And Menemir too. Um, I can't say. Um, I can't say fuck Spicy Dave because he is dead he, now. Um, it's Greg Berhalter's Greg USMNT, Berhalter I guess. Um, took the crown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way, honestly. Like, uh, Greg, if you could like hang like Dave Sarachan's like dead body like outside Matt Free Stadium. <laughs> I would give I I would like fucking write or die for you like if that were the case man like old Greg never failing to give <laughs> old Greg never failing to deliver when it matters most I guess but yeah now now I guess with this added wrinkle here obviously with this fucking bullshit tournament coming up uh, <laughs> <laughs> just standing to lose your entire back four for your international duty um during the gold cup you know uh I think that only emphasizes just how much defensive depth is going to be a priority going into this season, I think. Um, so I, my prediction is that I think you definitely see some kind of movement on the center back front. We definitely bring in, I think, at least one guy from outside the organization to compete for a depth spot next to Ndam. And more notably, I think we address the fullback position as well. I think, we do have Kyle Duncan coming back, but, uh, you know, like you, you may not necessarily n- no two ACL recoveries are the same. And some guys just don't, re- don't retain what they had before that. You know, I think that's just simple reality of the thing. Um, there were a couple of names that were given to me that I find very interesting when it comes to potential, um, fullback replacements at, um, from the homegrown crop and Friedlander and Twitter telling me Marcelo Borges is one really good um, potential name to monitor. And we will probably be discussing in depth more whenever uh, we decide to put him on the show. But um, it is true. Um, 
I would be very shocked if we don't address our defensive depth as a main priority this season. Uh, sorry, this offseason. And um, I think it's even less of a headache now that Tim Parker's coming back for sure. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, I basically lost everything that I wanted to say as soon as I heard all four of them heavy away for Gold Cup duty. Oh, yeah. man. I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even fucking think about uh, Kamar and Amir. I was just I was just being America centric. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. Go ahead. That, well, yeah. So I mean that that's part of look. This is big club shit. Right. This is what happens mm-hmm. when you are when you're a great fucking goddamn team. You have to worry about things when you when you assemble a team like this with so many good pieces and so many good players. Unfortunately, you have to worry about losing them for international duty. And this is why that depth is going to be so important. Dyer put out an article saying that according to his scoop, we're supposed to be basically not uh, we're declining uh, options on Revis. Uh, Redding's contract thing is just out and also declining uh, Collins' contract. That's a million dollars in cap space. That is so much depth. That is so there's so much money that this team can use on 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 shoring up depth. Not even like worrying about like starters. I, I think for the most part, I don't think we have to like worry too too much about any of the starting spots. For me, the most important thing is to be shoring up uh, a depth, especially in that back line, because I think we're exposed too many times. So, yeah, man, it, around the Gold Cup time is also going to be the U.S. Open Cup. So there's going to there's gonna be a lot of rotating and balancing that this team's going to have to do. And what happens with CCL? Do we qualify? Okay, if we do qualify, well, that's anywhere from two to eight more games to add on to the season. Then you have the U.S. Open Cup. Then you have guys going out to international duty for the fucking Gold Cup. Then you have the playoffs. That's a lot of toll to be putting on 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 guys like Kamar, like Amir, like Long, like Parker, because you expect them to play as many you know CCL games as possible, as many U.S. Open Cup games as possible. So I mean, at this point, with the way the squad's built right now, those four guys who are going to be gone for a lot of the summer are the only sure thing first team defenders that are going to be coming back next year. I mean, yeah. that's we're almost definitely going to have to be bringing in experienced pros from outside um, to shore up the defense. Yeah. Um, Especially when you look at when it comes, I think when it comes to internal replacements at center back, like we don't really have a lot of great options in the organization right now. I think when it comes to center backs uh, potentially stepping up, I mean, Hassan and Dom is obviously the cream of a very, the cream of a very thin crop, I think, because mm-hmm. Pollitz, I think, needs at least a couple more seasons of polishing at USL level because he didn't really start that much this year. And um, who's that other guy? I mean, Jordan Scarlett's probably a career USL player. So I don't see any real replacements coming in the pipeline internally. Um, I don't have a good grasp of our collegiate center backs either. Um, so we're probably going to have to get more light shit on that. Um coming in but i think friend fernando brings up this point about um brings up this point about um the workload that this team may be able to face again next year and that's being of tremendous concern i think um one understated thing that i think that we could potentially do with the one million dollars in cap space that um are being freed up this year is one of the more 
understated things, I think. And that is potentially finding someone who can give Bradley Wright Phillips like a spot, like a breather every now and then. And I really do think to a degree that, you know, like as much as he was struggling against the the, def- the opposing team defenses, give- double teaming him basically all series, like you also can't deny that as he adds another year of age on, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions of how much a 34-year-old is going to be able to handle these very heavy workloads for two consecutive seasons. And, you know, I think in addition to fullback being kind of a question mark in terms of depth, striker depth is also kind of becoming a bit more um, important. I think, uh, you know, I think Brian White has the potential to be at least an MLS quality striker. But um, as a question of whether or not now that in the offseason where you have enough time to blood in someone or at least start thinking of potential people to bring in, like, do you think it would be viable to bring in an additional striker as well, potentially with some of that money opening up? Like, maybe not someone who can contribute, like, immediately, but maybe some young prospect who can be primed to take on a rotation role while splitting time between USL and MLS. You know, like, I think that's one potential thing that we may be able to look at to groom him eventually for taking over Bradley Wright Phillips. Like, what do you guys maybe think about that? So one, one thing to keep in mind about this, you know, f- this million dollars just being freed up, we do have a third DP spot free and available. And I am pretty confident that they're going to fill that. They're going to fill that spot. The reason why it's important is because that 1 million now becomes 500,000 because up to the, you know, DP cap or max, would basically be taken on, on the salary cap. So it'll be like 512000 or something like that. But I mean, half a million is still a lot of money in cap space. And I think for me, this ties into that conversation. I, I think I think that they're going to rely on White for that, that striker depth. I think he filled in pretty well when he was called. I, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to, to, to think that they're going to go and, and – and really go um, and and focus heavily on bringing in another striker. I think what they will do is bring in someone who can kind of maybe play in different spots up front. Maybe play as as uh, a, maybe a younger version of Royer, where with maybe just more playmaking ability or something. Um, it's it's tough. I I I feel like that's one of the hardest positions to kind of like figure out with what's going on because I mean like you said he's he's 34 he's gonna be 34 he's not old he's not ancient but he's not young either and if we're realistically gonna make a good push for multiple competitions especially if we make into the Champions League maybe Brian White isn't um maybe maybe White's not enough maybe we do need somebody else so I don't know that that's that's a tough one there's also um not not that he's especially since he hasn't progressed to MLS level yet not that he's a better option than or a better projection than Brian White, but Tom Barlow, who yeah. has been at the USL level this year, he didn't necessarily, uh, you know, shock you with his goal totals. But if you watched him play in USL this year, you could see and you can hear coaches say that he has the tools to move up to the next level. So he's somebody worth watching. He's a bigger guy than White, um, so he could potentially, yeah, 
um, be, you know, even more of a physical presence, which, you know, that's not, you know, everything that's amazing about Brad. He's not a guy who you can force. I mean, and that's something that, you know, I felt like we were missing in the Atlanta games, especially after we went down. Brad's not the kind of striker you can force the ball into to kind of hold it and create havoc in the box. He gets on the end of things. And when you're not creating things to get on the end of, um, you know, he he's not, you know, he, people people were getting on Brad for, you know, what he hasn't scored in like five, six games or whatever at the end of the season. But I mean, yeah. when teams are shutting off his service, of course he's not going to score. He's not the kind of guy who can take it and dribble past six dudes or, you know, you know, muscle off somebody else to finish in the box. He needs to have, you know, the team firing on all cylinders to work. So maybe not only do we find somebody who can spell for Brad and take some of the minutes and some of the pressure off of him to be playing every game and providing all the goals, but just somebody who provides a different dimension up top, somebody who plays a little differently. I mean, we're going to have, sounds like we're going to have a bong coming back from some of the, some of the hints that we had today, but um, <laughs> um, sounds like we're going to have him back and he's definitely a different dimension um, in the aerial game and, kind of in the you know uh he he can he can play with his feet too but um yeah a different sort of player who maybe it's a a guy who plays on the shoulder of the last defender and you know gets on the end of long balls more than brad necessarily does um or maybe it's a guy who does the same sort of things a bong does um playing more aerially so there's a lot of different ways that we can bring not only a, a potential understudy and maybe replacement for brad but somebody who can provide us different tactical options than Brad does. And, and to kind of just, yeah. I'm sorry, just kind of just uh, continue from there. If you listen to a lot of the things that, that the team has said in a, in a lot of, um, a lot of the interviews today, it, I almost get the feeling that they're not so much concerned about Bradley as much as they're concerned about getting another like attacking threat to kind of play with him to free him up. Which I think we lost when we lost Florian Velo. I, I to me that's still one of the biggest moments of, of of the whole season. I mean, we still obviously won a supporter shield, but I feel like that could have really, really went like poorly if if the right adjustments weren't made. We definitely lost a very significant um, attacking threat once we lost Velo, and we kind of have been missing that. So it, it's tough to say if it's tough to like to kind of blame. Bradley in some ways for maybe kind of falling off in the second half of the season. Cause it's, it could very well just be, there really weren't that many other attacking options. I mean, Gaku even said himself during, during, um, uh, during his interview that, that uh, it was a little harder playing without him because he allowed him to kind of have more space and it just gave him more options. So we have the potential of Barlow. We have potentially a uh, Anatole. We have, uh, white in there. Who knows what happens with mines? I mean, I don't. I don't think getting someone another striker or addressing any kind of striker depth is going to be a, a high priority for them. I think what will be the priority is trying to find players on the wings, especially on that right side, to not only play better with Bradley and kind of free him up, but also complement whoever we do have. Uh, as as striker depth options, who can play next to White if Bradley's sitting out? Who can play well next to Anatole if Bradley's out? Who can play if Barlow does get a call up next to him? Like those kind of things. 
Yeah, you know, admittedly, uh, well, I was formulating my uh, narrative, my hashtag <laughs> narrative. Um, I did escape. Uh, it did escape my mind that Anatole like might actually be back next season, which kind of assuages a bit of my fears personally because I he's still only what like twenty one, twenty two, or something? yeah. I know it's crazy. Like um, twenty two going on twenty three. I June. believe he is. Yeah. So, um, the crazy thing about that to me is, is you know, um, as I'm, I'm going to reiterate what you guys say, you know, he, he brings in a dimension that I don't think we've had on this team for a while, you know, like that direct option who is physically disruptive and can just create chaos in the box by his presence in there. You know, I think this is the type of guy that you might want, like potentially coming on when we need a goal um, late in the game to be physically disruptive and be an aerial threat. But on top of that, like Anatole has really, really good holdup play, you know, like you saw glimpses of it with Red Bull two this season. Like uh, he's got a very good touch, especially for a big guy, I would say. And, you know, he, he crouch ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so, you know, I mean like uh, my, my best case scenario for him is if he kind of turns into our Fellaini figure or you just kind of throw him on um, to just create havoc with the hold-up play and his and his aerial dominance. Like if you need a goal late in the game, and potentially look uh, to or to expanding his role in that time. And you know, I kind of do have to agree with uh, Fernando to a degree that I think if we do bring in a big money attacker using that third DP slot. Um, it would have to be for someone who can kind of play out wide, I think in Royer's position, mostly because like, as we said, you know, I mean the 16 goals that Royer provided this year were great, but they were very empty 16 goals because when he wasn't scoring goals in the bunches that he usually scores them in, like he wasn't really offering anything in terms of uh build up or uh chance creation, you know? And I think we definitely lack someone on that side of the field who can take on a bit more of that, playmaking burden because if so there's we, a player who's okay, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say like if we have the potential to be a threat down both channels uh, using both of our wide players you know that's only going to make us even more varied and more devastating in offense you know and I would like Royer actually as like a super sub off the bench if we as another option that we might need if uh, we need a goal late in the game where he just kind of comes on and takes advantage of tire of uh, the space that opens up from tiring legs to kind of poach a couple goals here and there. Like, I think, uh, and, you know, I think, like, for all we talk about, like, if you bring in a third DP, the winter window is the window that you do it in because you give him a full preseason to integrate with the rest of the team and they can hit the ground running as a result of that. You know, like I think of the way that most other teams treat their summer signings. It's very rare that you see someone brought in in the summer window. Oh, who is an immediate contributor if the team doesn't build their entire philosophy around said player. You know, that's what you saw like Rooney with Rooney. or Lodero. That's yeah. what you saw of Lodero. That's what you saw to a degree of Rui Diaz playing off of Lodero. This is what you saw with... Um, I think Didier Drogba a couple of years ago when he went to Montreal, like it's, it's these kind of things that we have to realize, you know, it was going to be very hard to blood in a big money signing this year, you know, like 
what you were, what the most possible likely outcome that you were going to get from doing that in the summer window was a more expensive version of Andreas Ivan. And then what? All you people are fucking losing your minds about Ivan as it is already. Can you imagine if the price tag was like maybe three times yep. that amount and he didn't hit the ground running? Like It's actually all- when you were talking about needing a wide forward who is kind of like a hybrid striker, wide player. One guy came to mind. He's like kind of kind of an obscure player, but uh, maybe we have a chance at signing him. He's this Argentinian guy named Ignacio uh, Pacetto. <laughs> I think I think you would have said Gonzalo like, Verone. Well, that too. No, if we sign a guy from Udinese, I'd like it to be Kevin Lasagna. <laughs> the hey, now, like, dude, like, can you like? If you had fucking lasagna RBNY kits, like every Italian American in the tri-state <laughs> area is like buying one. It's like a meme. Like, Ooh, that would that would be yeah. local media no. engagement. Yeah. Listen, listen, Mark Fishkin. If you're mm-hmm. listening to this fucking like podcast, <laughs> like this is what's going to make attendance go through the goddamn roof. You hear me? <laughs> like you want to talk about flagging attendance and shit. Just tell them to sign Kevin Lasagna. It'll draw every fucking Italian American like a seventeen. The next that's so metro moment is when we fuck up the lasagna signing by not having our fax machine fixed or some shit. That's the next that's that's so metro moment. Hashtag lasagna watch. (laughs) Like, um, but yeah, I think to go kind of go back on this a little bit. You know, I mean, it is true. I think. to a degree, I do see an op- a potential for opportunity for like a big money attacking upgrade here, but you know it has to be on that left wing for me. Um, I think that's all I kind of really got. And, and just want to address I, uh, uh, Ivan. I, I thought I think he's had like a couple of good moments since it's in, in his you know, very few appearances during the regular season, but. He was like probably the one of the better attackers, I think, when he came on in the second leg and against Atlanta. I mean, granted, the game was kind of all types oh, yeah, of fucking yeah. crazy, but still, he created multiple chances. Like he just he looked like he belonged, which I think is the first time I've seen from him. So, I mean, I've kind of I've been on the Ivan train since the beginning, since I, you know, found him on my tweet to get tweet deck and was just you know finding random ass videos of 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 him in uh. And uh, the third and fourth division of, of Germany, but I mean, it took all his videos down, man. It's fucking weak. Like, did, did you did you keep any like uh, actually? Like, yeah, copies of it? He, he's he's I actually, gifts. yeah, I have like gifts. I'm like, gifts. I think I saved like four or five videos. <laughs> and the, he had one like long, like twenty minute video that got taken down like the day yeah, before he yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that I, video. I think I actually have that video. It was it was not easy finding like full length games of of for third and fourth division uh teams in Germany. Let me tell you, that was <laughs> that was not easy, man. I went down a fucking rabbit hole for those things. That's a long off to <laughs> the same feeds that you get the yeah. Mongolian Premier League on. I definitely had to run some uh some 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 virus infection scans on my computer afterwards. <laughs> but um no I, I think he showed um, again I think he showed moments of brilliance and, and I think in Atlanta he showed a, a good glimpse of what he can be uh, going forward. So for me, for him, it, it it was someone. This is someone who needs a good full, a good preseason to kind of just let it all out there, really learn it without the pressure of 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 an, a meaningful game, and and kind of just get into it, you know. And look, who knows what changes 
Chris might bring, you know, next season. So I think with a full preseason, I, I think he's going to surprise some people. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, we also talk about like his dribbling ability and his uh, ability to just kind of just run at guys. And we started seeing glimpses of that in that second leg, leg against Atlanta, which I thought was very, very encouraging. And maybe suggests to me that maybe our internal replacement options for uh, competition at Danny Royer's spot may be a bit more hot than we originally, than it might originally seem. I mean, if Andy Ivan comes on and does exactly that, but over a sustained 90-minute period next year, I think that that's the exact kind of threat in the left wing in terms of playmaking that we might be lacking right now. And then on top of that, like uh, like it was mentioned in that 20-minute video, actually, on top of all his skills and all his ability to just kind of blow past guys, like he was also shown to be a significant threat off of direct free kicks. And, you know, like here's the thing, like, we still haven't scored off a direct free kick 2016. since what, 2016. I think, yeah. I think something like that. Like Felipe was the last one to score a direct free kick for this team. Like, wait. I think we have all these potential threats off of direct free kicks. I think that, um, you know, Ivan breaking into the first team gives us another one. You know, for some odd reason, we haven't seen Kamar take him, we haven't seen Ivan take him, but. Generally, as a team, for some reason, we don't generally yield a lot of direct free kick opportunities to begin with. I'm not really sure if that's like a, as a result of like um, direct tactical, um, like a direct tactical decision or something. But you know, it's we sure don't have I, a lot think- of we don't have. I mean, Yvonne's unique, and I, you know, uh, I've heard the Gorella comparison to kind of refute me when I say this before, but um, he's he's not like a lot of our wingers. He's a guy. A lot of our wingers are a lot more direct and will just, you know, make runs, get on the end of balls. They're not necessarily guys who are going to, you know, stand around making tricks and stuff like that, which are generally the things that get you fouls. So um, that could be sort of where our tactical setup hinders us from getting some of those chances. To your point, the, the last person who yeah. who did do that, Verone, got a hell of a lot of free kicks. He got so yeah. that that's a good point. Yeah, we really the last person we had got he had to have some kind of record for for mo, for most fouls per ninety, I think, and, and and there were more more than more than a couple of times where he got us in a really good position, but you know we really didn't have anybody to kind of just you know launch those or at least try to launch them right in. What what year was that crazy ass game against Houston where we came back and won four three? Was it last year? That was twenty sixteen. Holy that shit! Twenty sixteen. That was like one of the first. Oh yeah, season, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and. Uh, it, 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 they came back from 3-2 to like 4-3 because Felipe scored two golosos in the, like the last 15 minutes of the game. I remember that game very prominently because I lost my fucking <laughs> line yeah. free kick in front of the South Ward. Like, it became a poster that year, actually. Um, <laughs> I remember the uh, Felipe yep. poster they gave out. That, I remember that moment was sick. And that was the last time I really remember this team scoring off a direct free kick, I think. Like, I think that was literally the last time that that ever happened. We barely even so, take our indirect free kicks near the end of this yeah. year, doing a lot of like the crazy yeah. trick stuff. But yeah, like like that one against Columbus at home where Kaku faked the shot. That was and, cool. Uh, that was that sick. Was, that was cool. But a lot of them have kind of like not amounted to a lot. But yeah. I mean, I think. Oh yeah, I think that understated thing is that like you know set piece set piece dominance came back in a big way this year and 
as a result of that, you started seeing our goal tallies, um, you know, go up. So the more that you have set piece assassins on this team, I think the more confident I'd be um, going into 2019 because it, again, it adds so many wrinkles to this offense that already has quite a fair bit of them and has been a lot more flexible than years past. You know, I think we talk about the crazy schemes coming off of indirect ones. If you have guys who are capable of doing similar things off of direct free kick opportunities, or even being able capable of putting in a fucking bender the good old fashioned way, like that's great. It gives us more potent goal scoring methods of goal scoring. And like the more methods you have of goal scoring, the better on this team. That's why I think that that's the potential value that Ivan brings. Um, you, so I guess you ignore, you ignore set pieces at your peril. Graham Taylor, exactly. 1993. <laughs> <laughs> All right, move on. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I guess um, we'll we'll round out the episode actually um, by talking about this last little bit of housekeeping. Uh, the big news uh, that Christian Dyer broke actually earlier um, this evening was that you know the three big cuts were announced: Colin, Rivas, and Redding, which I think weren't really shockers by any sense of the imagination um, for anyone who was uh, really watching this team this year. Um, that's, that's a real space. indictment of Rivas, just to real quick, because he's exactly, if he lives up to his um, billing, he's the exact kind of hybrid wing forward that would be perfect for Spain yeah. for Brad, but go on. Yeah, yeah, but I think it just turned out that I, I don't think uh, the way he played this year kind of uh, warranted that. So I guess, um, quick prediction, actually. Um, for what we do with all this cap room that is opening up. I think I've already stated that we bring in additional center backs and potentially one additional attacker, but what do you guys feel about that? Yeah, I I, th- I mean, I kind of touched upon it before. I think, uh, you know, it's really, it's definitely going to depend on, um, it's definitely going to depend on whether or not we get a third DP. If we get a third DP, then, I mean, you could remove half of that out of the equation, but even at 500,000, you can, you, you can use that money to really sure up, um, a lot of defensive depth. I think we have plenty of midfielders. I'm not entirely concerned, um, about striker depth. I think we definitely need to really, really address, um, uh, the right wing spot on the attack. We have to see if Velo is, you know, what Velo do we get back? Do we get, you know, a really close version to when he was healthy or, or, you know, did, does he not recover from that knee surgery so well? Um, I don't know. I, I think we gotta, they have to do what they have to do to, to make sure we get some real legitimate, like strong center back depth. Um, maybe even another option, uh, kind of in our, in our back pocket outside of Giannis and, and, um, and what's his name? Uh, and Duncan, um, yeah, I think that's, that's my biggest concern is really showing up that back line, the depth, especially in the center back. Yeah, especially, yeah, the getting getting defensive guys is going to be key. There's uh, there's just something I was I completely lost my train of thought. I had a great point, I fucking swear, but <laughs> I, I, I lost Loss. it. Yeah, so somebody, the of yeah so somebody, somebody fill in for me for a second while I get my get my senses gone um what i was gonna say is, is i actually lied 
Um, this isn't the last thing that I wanted to talk about, actually, because I just recalled that um, the fucking CCL um, draw was going on uh, earlier this evening as well. Like, I'm not going to lie when I didn't lie on Twitter when I said that this was a fucking busy day for everyone involved. And, you know, I think the potential prospect of a trip to, to the Dominican Republic in February has to be on people's minds right about now, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still not going to watch the MLS Cup final because fuck that shit. But I think Atlanta pulling one out so that they can send us to play Atletico Pantoa. I think at Cibao Stadium, like, that'd be pretty sick, man. Like, this was my dream away trip, and I'm kind of disappointed that, like, uh, I didn't end up actually getting to do it. But, like, I swear to God, like, if this does end up happening and we go to the Dominican Republic in February, like, everyone get on that fucking plane because it's going to be a hell of a time. I tell you what, like, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun one. So, yeah. Um I take back everything bad I said about Atlanta on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I love Joseph Martinez. I love penalties. Yeah. Atlanta's great. Atlanta's great. He's, he's the most deserving golden winner in the history of the world. Love Scarves. Tata I love, Martino is I, a genius. I love <laughs> not shaking hands. I'm, I hate germs. Real, real yeah. quick, I kind of just want to circle back at, at, at your, your previous question. One thing to keep in mind, too, is we don't know what's happening with Reza. If it's a yeah. he was he was his salary was almost a billion dollars, which was he was the, the second highest paid player in the team. So if he does come back, I'm sure it's going to require some kind of restructuring of the contract. I can't imagine them, you know, agreeing to to, to that heavy of a contract. But I'm sure he's still going to end up being a TAM player. I can't imagine him take you know taking half of the contract. So unless he comes in still at like six hundred thousand or so, that's. 500,000 off the cap that we have to that we have to uh, factor in plus whatever tam. Now, this is where the, the the Tyler Adams deal could potentially be extremely clutch because not only are we getting that million dollars freed up, potentially another 500,000 from Riz if he comes back or not, but $750,000 is almost definitely coming to the way of the team. In GAM and GAM can explicitly be used. One of the things it can be used for is towards the salary cap, not just you know the like like how TAM is used, where it's only you're really supposed to be outside of the um, uh, above the the salary cap hit. You can actually use that on any player salary to bring that cap hit even lower. So that is well, and that. I, I remembered my big take from earlier um, that I forgot. And it was, it's kind of a bummer because it's not the big, like, you know, take our big Tyler bounty or our big cutting Colin and Rivas bounty to go get shiny new guys. Um, it could just be like what happened and pissed a lot of people off after the DAX trade where we used basically the, the cap room and the DAX money to give new contracts to like Luis Robles and give raises uh, like Bradley, Bradley got yeah. a raise and things like yeah, that. Yeah, um, so I think that, was that could vary. What would you say? Oh, I thought that was good Definitely. usage. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Ahead. It's 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 not it's not PR friendly, but yeah, like fucking uh, you know, long absolutely <sighs> yeah. needs a you know fucking exponential raise. 
And um, we're still trying to get, you know, something worked out with Parker. Hopefully the league is cooperating more. We'll see. So it might just be less sexy to use some of that money on raises for existing guys, but that might be the most effective way yeah. to use it in a lot of, in a lot of cases. Yeah. But I mean, look, that, 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 that is, yeah. and we're not even talking about all the extra allocation money that's out there. This doesn't include the potential bump in, in, uh, in allocation money we get if we eventually end up qualifying for champions league. Um, this doesn't include the, the, the allocation money we get for winning the supporter shield. Yes. People, it's not just a, so a piece of, you know, fucking a metal hubcap, like some idiots say that winning that actually comes with significant <laughs> things, including some, some allocation money. So just by, by freeing up, at anywhere from a million to a million and a half in, in cap space, raw cap space, plus potentially $750,000. That is so much money for this team to build upon for next year. And, and, and I, Lance, I think it was you who tweeted before, and it was so true. If you think about it, this team broke record, broke records this year while wasting a million dollars in cap space. Could you imagine next year when they actually get yeah. to now kind of rein in on some of these, you know, kind of shitty contracts that they had and, and really now be able to use even more resources than they did before? My only takeaway from this is that my tweets were true. It's <laughs> a good take. Thanks. Yeah. So, <laughs> someone no, mentioned I mean, Luis before, and I just want to, to kind of ride on that for a second. I am not happy yeah. at all with some of the fucking comments that Louis said in his interview, man. Oh, fucking no. dad. Yeah, that that was fucking dad. I, you know, he sounded a little too that symmetric for me in, in those interviews, man. I, I, you know, the way he like, uh, he he got he. Well, I, okay, like like look, I'm 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 gonna put on my um apologist hat for a second here, um. I can kind of understand why he'd kind of take on that mentality because, you know, I think it's clear that his leadership style is very much first and foremost about taking account for your own mistakes first. You know, I think it can kind of shine through to kind of an almost detrimental degree sometimes with Luis because, you know, I think he's very, he can kind of come off in interviews being very hard on himself or very hard on, you know, and, and I think that's what it kind of came off to me as being you know i mean like he's not trying to make excuses for not getting the job done and he's just trying to take account of some of the shit that they pulled it wasn't you know? i mean it wasn't even that he's, he's the goalie he's he's, he's sitting in the net all night he might as well be sitting next to fish going <laughs> all, all <laughs> but like but like he's, he's, i do goal, think that's all okay, okay, oh, oh, hold, hold on hold on like yeah. hold on like don't get me wrong. Like, I think it uh, was kind of to a slightly overwrought degree um, where his comments, like his comments were kind of a bit overwrought to a degree. But I mean, it really did seem to me that he's kind of doing the player equivalent of tweeting through it. right? Now, right? <laughs> kind of up all up in his uh, feelings a bit, you know, like definitely superbly crushed that like they didn't do it this year. You know, I think, He's doing All I'm really going to say is TSM irony. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, look, you go and seeing red once and this is what happens. Okay. Like what I'm trying to say is maybe they should send the players our way <laughs> so we can give them the positivity boost that they need. I don't know, man. Like, yeah. It was, it, <laughs> it, I don't know. It was, it was, it was 
there were there were a couple of comments that that kind of got to me the wrong way. And it was even about I know some. Yeah, we haven't even we haven't even mentioned what he actually said. We've just been like shitting. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to. F- <laughs> 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 I'm trying to. I'm trying to. F- I'm trying to remember. I think I like wrote notes on this, and I don't know. I don't remember where the hell I put it. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's for me, it was different than than um like just saying okay, you know. These are, you know, th- these guys didn't step up. And I'm not, I'm not talking like throwing players under the, uh, under the bench. It was just like the way he kind of like fawned over Atlanta, like just Google-eyed type shit. Like it's yeah, fuck that. that's, yeah. that's really kind of – actually, I found it. So he says uh, it definitely – he was asked about the, the roster, right, about if, if our roster needs to be tweaked. And his reply was it definitely needs to be – it definitely needs a little bit of tweaking. Uh, if I look at the last game against Atlanta, you look at the guys coming off the bench. How much did they spend on Barco? How much did they invest on Vialba? Oh, how much money? That's pretty impressive. Impressive cheap. that a team that good as Atlanta, as well as they are playing on the field, and those are the guys coming off the bench. Then he followed up with, uh, it's no way a knock on our guys. You just look at the construction of the roster, and you think they've done a really good job. You can't say we lost to a lesser opponent. We lost to a very good opponent, a team that was on the verge of if they got a, if they got a result, having a better season and even more of a record season than us. God, he's being okay. a fucking Reddit poster, <laughs> like fucking oh, they <laughs> look at all the money they spent. Like, don't look at the points in the standings. Don't look at the fucking goals or anything. Look at how much money they spent. They're obviously better. I fucking I, 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 let's hold on um, before you say anything. Let's. This, I'm just gonna present you what my immediate thought was. My immediate, my immediate thought when I heard that was Sasha at the end of last season talking about the team didn't invest in a difference maker. I got flashbacks. Oh, no. Man. Person, personally, I disagree with that to a degree because I think knowing how Luis has generally come across in previous interviews, you know, I think he does have this very sporting side to him. And he's just trying to be complimentary of Atlanta yeah. because, like, you know... He, Naturally, he's just trying. Like, he's not the type of guy to come out and say controversial shit in interviews, right? Like, he's a company man through and through. Doesn't want to fling shit. Like, Luis isn't a shooter. I mean, that's <laughs> the matter is. Luis is not an energy drink poster. Yeah. Okay, like we are energy drink posters. Ben Mines is an energy drink poster. He's an he's like, an old he's Luis an older is, millennial. The rest of the team are younger millennials. It's a huge gap. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like. Here's the thing. So, like, as a result of that, and then it attempts to try and come off as being, oh, chumly, sporty sort of thing, like, I think you can kind of delve into being a bit too overtly complimentary, which is why I kind of thought the comments were just kind of a bit overwrought coming from what we know about his com- his character, of him being very sporting, of him being very con- controversy-free, yeah. you know? I think this is just a product of him being a bit too up in his feelings and trying too much to be a nice guy that like it kind of borders over into kind of taking away from our accomplishments a little Fucking bit, but you know, no, well, I, I will say this. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. I appreciate that. He said that just for the simple fact that what happened, what I thought was going to happen, happened. Franco then kind of re- repeats this idea and what kind of what he's, uh, what Rolla said to, to Bradley 
And and as Bradley, I mean, as Franco was talking, Bradley just like chuckles in like the most mocking kind of way. <laughs> and says right. and You're says no, because we beat them and they brought those guys off the bench. Like there were there were two different times where Bradley just flat out laughed at Franco and, and that just made everything worth it. You know why? Like Robles is Mark Fishkin and Brad is Tolstoy. Okay, well that's basically what it is. Like Brad is a shooter. Brad is a shooter. We know this. Like he wouldn't cut fire on Lord of the Mics if we didn't know that he could spit. Okay, and that's basically what he does. Okay, he shoots. That's why he's the striker. He shoots. That's why Luis like, needs to be sold to Colorado for fifty k and uh, <laughs> like fucking. <laughs> Because he doesn't get him out. <laughs> Clear him out. That, that's part of the exit interview now, going forward by Dennis. You have to you have to put together your but, best meme for the season. Yeah, dude. Like this is part of the churn. Like when we talk about the churn, it's like not just about like how well you play in the field, but it's how well you talk shit off of it, man. Luis is falling behind. Churn all the company men. <laughs> Energy drink posting only. Okay, like this is what we want. Be a shooter again. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, I'll give none of this oddy dotty. Oh, shucks, we played so well, but the curse came to us again. Hardy dotty da. I mean, fuck out of here. Yeah, man. Like, I, I, I'll, I give Luis. I love Luis, man. He, he's he's a fucking legend. If there's anyone on the team who deserves. Who deserves as much accolades? It's gonna be, you know, as Bradley does. It's gonna be Luis. But those comments kind of, kind of bother. Like it, it, it just sounded different. Like it almost sounded like a level of frustration. And it's like, given like he, you're part of the team. You know what I mean? Like given all the things that the team has been through, given all the injuries and the depth questions, and and losing Velo and, and losing all your depth. Like I, I, I would think that the the question wasn't some wouldn't some with this team wouldn't be so much. Why didn't you go and, and, and spend $15 million on a teammate who would potentially threaten to fuck your wife? But instead, you know, question, Jesus. you know, what it, could there have been, could something have been done better to deal with the fullback depth um, that wasn't dealt with? You know, may, maybe you, you, you sign Giannis to a first team contract out of desperation. Like for me, those are the questions. It shouldn't be. It would have been awesome if Luis had said, like, oh, we should have signed a left back at 85k <laughs> on a two-year option deal or something but instead he's just like oh we should have we should have signed barco like that yeah like, like, yeah it's just yeah. like for me that like that was kind for of me it, it kind of just feeds into the laziest narrative possible this team just came off a record season and yeah people can say oh well you know we only want it because atlanta because uh, atlanta won it because like, atlanta lost in the last game, well, you know what? We have at least two or three games that we lost, or at least two or three results that we dropped that we never should have. That we that were dropped because we were dealing with heavy rotation, <coughs> Orlando, um, you know, uh, or uh, Salt, you know, Real Salt Lake. I mean, there, there's there were questionable results throughout the entire season. That shit doesn't only apply for the last fucking game. But at the end of the day, for me, we, this team broke records with this roster construction and mm-hmm. dealing with the injuries that we dealt with. There is no way in hell that Atlanta performs the level they have if they lost either one of their uh, of their best attacking players, either one on the wings, 
for half a season like we lost with Velo. There's no way that team manages to 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 finish the way they did and play at the level they did if they lost their best fullback the way we the way we lost our fullback for for uh, uh for for the semifinal. So to me, that just kind of played into a lazy narrative, and I I just didn't think that cool. And and I I love Bradley for just totally just laughing at that entire premise. Yeah, just being real. I mean, Luis is just yeah, he's just saying whatever he needs to to sound. He needs to stop cool going to church. To... Yeah, yeah, you know, like like I think part of the. Uh, Part of the training regiment for the team should be stop watching Veggie yeah. Tales and start watching like fucking like any even when you hear Luis like give his speeches that he's presumably like prepared like in the locker room like in all access videos like the delivery is so just like I don't know he I'm I'm saying what you want me to say I'm saying what you expect a person like me to say I don't know it just bugs me but that's all but that but it makes it like, more harmless though. for me that he says this because he's just you know, yeah definitely no, no that's true I, I'm probably being a little harsh yeah. but. Yeah. No, it's it was definitely stupid shit that he I said, mean, I will, but I think he's just saying it to say it. No. I mean, I will say this though. I mean, like uh, if you could somehow summon like on-field captain speech Luis to be like full-time Luis, like that'd be fucking great. You know, but I think he's a bit too I mean, I think he's really savvy. Yeah. He's just trying not to rock the boat too much. And that's just kind of what it kind of boils down to me. He's just going to say some vaguely complimentary thing to just try and keep keep, you know, he wants to be able. To, he wants to go no, sell real estate in Cobb County after he retires. He doesn't want to insult Atlanta. So, yeah. <laughs> but like, dude, like, if you had to put up with Franco Panizzo in your locker room every single week, like, I'd I'd be wary of saying anything too spicy, too. Personally, like, I have to credit yeah. Luis for that. He navigates yeah, Franco yeah, well. It's like, true. Fuck Frank, That's Franco. skill. And and again, I'll I'll say it again. He gave he gave substance for Bradley. So I guess I guess uh, in the end it worked out. Oh, and he also asked uh, yeah. the the assist question to like every single fucking player about. Uh... It's because we know that Franco. <laughs> we already know this. Like, yeah. Fuck that guy. Hey, will you guys <laughs> let me talk to Kamar? Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> can I talk to Can I talk to Parker? Was, How come he isn't here? This real, isn't fair. It was really weird that Kamar didn't play last week. Can I talk to him about it? <laughs> Fucking God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. There were so many other scoops that he could have talked about, and he tried to fucking break the lineup shit. Yeah, l- look, if you're, about. in my opinion, if you're a journalist, the story wasn't that the injured guy probably isn't going to play. That that's not a story, like at <laughs> all. The story, really, for me, and it's and it's still a story that surprisingly not not many have have uh, or really anyone has have really uh, brought up. It's the fact that the 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 club with the best academy in the entire country fired their academy director the day before they announced it the day before the playoffs like the, the day before the, the the second leg of the semifinals like that's like yeah, true my though for me those are my alarms that were going off i want to know of all times to drop that news you did it the night before the second leg of the semis like our whole identity is kind of is surrounds our academy, I think, and you just announced that you let him go, and it was no explanation. Just like it was a it was a post, and like that was it. But no, for 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 the the wonderful journalist Franco, whatever the fuck his last name, um, yeah, the story was was trying to talk to the injured guy to see if he was still injured, if he was going to play or not. 
fuck Franco Panera bread, <laughs> to be honest. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I think that kind of about sums up that whole uh, incident for me. Like, honestly, like sometimes when you talk about the lack of media coverage around this team, I think, um, what is it, uh, Juan Mapu again, dropping sage advice. Like, what if, what if we don't want fan coverage? What if we don't want coverage of this team because all of it's yeah. trash? You know, I think he <laughs> he brings up a pretty yeah. good point about that. But not all not all the journos, by the way. I want to make this very clear. Not all the journos that cover this team suck. It's just Franco, especially <laughs> Franco. Oh, and Dave Martinez too, but he's yeah, not really he's... a journo. So fuck that guy. Um, yeah. So yeah, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. About two hours into well, this episode, we got super super messy. Well, that, that's so, yeah. Um, if you had that, probably. Then, I mean, it's it's um, this is usually the sign of the end of the podcast or towards the end because that's usually when we get when we get messy. Yeah, it's it, we we save the spiciest takes for the most dedicated yep. listeners. And and I gentlemen. deeply appreciate the occasional um, sixty nine to Weeby. Like it actually does happen. It's amazing. So if you've made it, to, yeah. if you've made it this far, <laughs> please tweet sixty nine to Andrew Weeby. Thank you. Oh, and Franco, yeah. so too. We're gonna add him to the loop. Like tweet sixty nine to Franco. Like Weeby hasn't done anything to piss us off recently, so uh, he's off the yeah. shit list for now. Um, he's also just recently engaged, so I don't want to ruin uh, yeah. too much because that'd be kind of yeah. Kind of uh, congratulations, so if you Weeby. Listened this far he, to the he had a child out of yeah, wedlock. If, if you listened this far, good. <laughs> And you're <laughs> letting him off the hook? Oh, Don't tell Robles this. Are we in Salem? Don't tell Luis. Yeah, exactly. 1690 all of a sudden. Like, what the fuck is this, man? Like, <laughs> I, I do anyway, have one question. Uh, yeah. Who is your MVP? You have to pick one. I was going to save this for the next mm, episode, personally. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, Cork. Well, Cork, what's um, your, who's, who's your MVP? My, my MVP. Um... I, I've, you know, to be, to be kind of, I guess it's, this is contrarian or whatever. I, you know, I guess the obvious choice is Brad, but, um, I thought Aaron Long was absolutely fantastic. I can't even think about a game where he was anything like a problem. He was just absolutely a rock at the back, every single game, putting out fires giving the rest of the team confidence. Um, you know, I, I think he's, you know, because he had such a late bloom and had such a, you know, counterintuitive path to where he is, he's not recognized as necessarily one of the elite players in this country. I think he is. I think he's I, I, Aaron Long is borderline world-class depending on where he keeps progressing. He's, he's more, he's almost as if not more impressive to me than the, Tyler Adams story because of what it took to get him where he is to see that talent when he was just here as a trialist a few years ago and to see him as a, an elite player in a completely different position. And that's, that's the real impressive thing about the Red Bull program for the last few years for me is finding players like that and molding players like that because there's even more of a ceiling for those sort of guys than you are getting when you're uh, bringing them out of their academy. I, I I could ramble on about Aaron for a while. For a while, I think he's just a fucking fantastic player, and I hope we can keep, keep him for a long time. Yeah, he he's quickly like risen up to like one of my favorite players for sure. He's he's it does yeah. everything about his story. I think is um, I think I actually may have mentioned that a couple of weeks ago uh, that I, I felt 
similar to what you said, Cork, that he kind of really like signifies so much of, of what this whole thing is about that, you know, for all the talk about how great our academy is and, and how great our development is, that it kind of people forget that it also extends outside of the academy that, you know, this team brings in so many people from the outside and continues their development and gives them so many chances. Long, Velo, Kamar. I mean, there's so many guys that that have come through our pipeline outside of just Aaron. Academy. Aaron Long is also such a giant fuck you to Seattle and Portland. Yes. For yeah, like I think that's an added a uh, little bit of thing for me. Yeah, had having well. him in their lap and not yeah, you know, not seeing. Yeah, uh, true. Who knows? But yeah, um, I mean, I'll, I'll be sharing my thoughts. I think a bit more uh, when we do do our season mm-hmm. review episode, which will be coming out in the near future because we are working on something special for that, I think. So um, stay posted, but um, I think that should just about do it for us at just over two hours and 20 minutes by my count. So uh, yeah, big bumper episode uh, here on today. Uh, We'd like to thank court for coming on. Like, thanks for having coming on, man. Thanks for having me guys. Stay, stay posted and stay posting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and Fernando and I will be back uh, maybe later this week or next week uh, to talk a bit more about the full roster decisions because we do have some mysteries I think yet to be revealed but three of the significant cuts that already been mentioned so uh, I don't know we'll just see we'll just see what drops uh, tomorrow morning or whatever whenever that happens but yeah season review should be coming up soon uh, and remember if you made it this far into the episode tweet 69 at Franco Panizzo <laughs> Um, but for now, this is Lens of Fernando saying, peace out, and stay safe, a good morning, good afternoon, and good night to all of you. Later. Peace.